Everybody, good morning, everybody. Good morning, this morning. It's Radio Free on Hi. Really looking forward to the re-debut of Judge Napolitano on the Almond Radio brand. Very excited about that. When I announced it yesterday, and I, although you guys kind of, some of you knew who had been paying attention to the live streams and my live feeds from Italy and that kind of thing. So I talked to him right before I left Italy. Knew that he was coming, but today's the day on the regular basis. I think it's odd, though, I have to tell you. In all honesty, it's kind of at the same time I had him before on the other station, so I'm a little curious as to as to what's going on there because I, I haven't been obviously listening to the other show so I'm a little surprised I don't know what is he still on the other show or does he just do another day they, they figure they move it to another day or something because 7.20 is when I had him on the old show 7.20 on Tuesdays and that's the time he wanted to be on with me on Radio Free Almond so I'm trying to figure out whether or not there's something up there, and, and and those of you who might know, is he is he on the other station or on the other show at, at all? I don't know, but I am happy to have him on Radio Free Almond. So that's going to be at 7.20. Then at 7.45, we have uh, Jimmy Hoff joining us, and at 7 o'clock, Gia Valenti is going to grace us with her presence as well. And so we have all of that going on for us, and also Judge Bethala is going to be talking about the Manafort trial beginning today. And also about the Cohen situation, which is confusing to a lot of us. We just don't um, – first of all, Giuliani's been out there on a tear. And Giuliani has said some things that 
I think the media is making much of, which is odd regarding the Cohen and the meeting and President Trump wasn't at the meeting and they're all saying, yeah, I know, but we didn't, we didn't ask if, if, if he was at the meeting and why are you saying something that we didn't ask about it? So I, I, that was something they just absolutely just obsessed about yesterday in the news. And so I'm trying to figure out what the situation is. Uh, with that, and I'll just boil it down with Joseph Balotano. I used to call him the Thresher, and I called him the Thresher for a reason. It's because it, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm, you know, an old farmhand or something. But I did go to school in Wisconsin and did know a little bit about agriculture, and did know there was like up in Wisconsin there was a in Madison there outside of it there was a Thresher Museum like a farm implement museum, and they would have old threshers. In fact, if you go to, let's see, around Clayton and Mason, it's where I, I ran. I used to run a lot over there. Uh, and they have, there's an old thresher in, in, a, in a farm lot over there. So it's, it, what it is, it's this thing that separates the wheat from the chaff. You know, it's kind of like goes through, it has the blades on it. And it's the thing that separates the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. And that's what Judge Napolitano does. He cuts through it. So he's going to be on with us to tell us all about that. In the meantime, we have a couple of developments on the media end and also a very interesting story about this ex-cop who rigged the McDonald's Monopoly game and managed to get millions of dollars out of this thing. So it's pretty interesting reading, and the Daily Beast has a piece on it, but it's apparently now the stuff of legend with this guy and his network of mobsters and psychics and strip owners and drug traffickers. They won almost every prize for 12 years until the FBI finally got involved. So it was one, it was tied to one guy and they won almost every prize the McDonald's monopoly game had, which is amazing. Cause of course I used to be involved in that a long time ago. I would play the game, but it, you hardly ever win anything. You never, that one piece, it's always the, the, the one piece, but this guy managed to get millions of dollars out of the thing and it's a fascinating story, so we're going to follow up on that. And then you have also the media flipping out over the economy and beyond. There is some degree, although Jamie Dimon, who is at J.P. Morgan, did say that there was a little bit. He does say that President Trump's economy, this is his economy. I don't care what Mark Kaysen says or anybody else. In fact, I'll have Mark or Mark in uh, Wednesday or Thursday, I think. But he says basically yeah this is this is one of the longest expansions in the history of the US economy and that's pretty amazing that's pretty good info for those of you who are able to refute the goofball in the in the cubicle or the water cooler next year whatever it happens to be who keeps claiming that this is Obama's economy and this is that it's his baloney this is the largest expansion in US history and Jamie Dimon, who's the chairman and chief executive officer at J.P. Morgan, says, "You know what? This is uh, this is good. This is this is a good, strong indicator 
that President Trump's policies are working. Although when he is interviewed by – sorry – when he is interviewed by some of these other individuals uh, around the media, he does say he has some concerns and he has some concerns uh, about the possibility of having a war with China. And I'm talking about a trade war with China. We talk about – And here he is kind of being asked about what some of his concerns are. He doesn't want to freak anybody out. But uh, by the way, Father Tom, how you doing, man? Sandy, Stan, good morning to all of you. Appreciate you joining us. Normally, you, you're asking where Margaret is on Facebook. Of course, she's the mayor of the Facebook room, right? I think Margaret is – sometimes she'll oversleep. So – it's been known to happen before where Margaret has uh, overslept. So anyway, here he is on the on CNBC uh, being interviewed about the economy here. He's talking US about it. U.S. economy being strong, but China's GDP that just uh, came out was 6.7%. If that trade battle with China continues to escalate, who wins it ultimately? Who yeah, can so take right it? Right now, I'd put in the skirmish category. And, you know, and we, the, we, the business community is pretty much represented to the president that we agree with a lot of the issues raised by China. The business community in general would have approached it differently, which is to get Canada, Mexico, Japan, and Europe to have a common front to present to China the way trade should be done. It needs to be fixed. We want it to be fixed. He's taken an approach which, you know, I'm a little worried could create these negative outcomes. We've told the president that. I'm hoping his methods work. If it becomes more in the skirmish, if you do $200 billion more and you do uh, the auto t- tariffs, stuff like that, yeah, I think it could offset, you know, some of the benefit we've had from the good things he's done. You said you told the president that you yes. disagree with his tactics. Yes. What was his response? He obviously doesn't agree with us. And so, uh, no, but I would also tell the, I, I was also, I was also tell the president that his, two of his advisors told him, and I'm not going to name them, but they told him there would be no retaliation. We said there absolutely will be, and they were wrong. So he's saying that, yeah, there's a good chance that there will be more retaliation from China and others regarding this trade situation. And Diamond says that two of the people who said they wouldn't be retaliation were wrong about it. So the president at this point, but you have to say, and, and and this is my point of view, I'm no millionaire, I'm no Jamie Dimon, I'm no this, I'm no that, but I will say that most of us appreciate the fact that the president is trying something that we haven't seen our presence do before because we know that what's happened in the past simply has not worked. And so I'm more than happy to give the president all the keys, all the permission, all that he needs to go ahead and shake things up a little bit and get things going and figure it out. And you know what? Sometimes it's not always going to work out great, and sometimes it is going to work out great. For the most part, things have worked out great. If you look at all aspects of the economy right now and you have Jamie Dimon with J.P. Morgan Chase admitting – and he's no anti-Trump guy but basically saying that we are in the latter stages of one of the strongest expansions in history. We've got a GDP that is rolling up into the fours now which is allowing us to offset any kind of damage, so to speak, that somebody would say would be made by tax cuts in terms of stealing from the government. I can't stand it when people describe tax cuts that way, but that's what they do. And we had to promise, oh, don't worry, the GDP will grow and we'll have more receipts coming in. And that, in fact, did indeed wind up happening. 
lowest unemployment rate among blacks that we've had in the history of the United States. We have a continued kind of roll off of people who are receiving food stamps and we have manufacturing making a comeback and all these things are happening. We even have a situation where we have self-deportation now. We have fewer illegal immigrants coming into this country just because the president broached the subject. Saw a poll the other day, which I thought was pretty interesting, and that is how the main issue for Americans now is immigration and not even the economy. So so the, the economic concerns have kind of gone by the wayside and now immigration is the number one thing that the Americans are talking about these days. I remember it wasn't so long ago and maybe even 10 years ago that a poll would show that immigration was possibly number 10 on the list of concerns of Americans. I'm talking about illegal immigration. And now it's the number one concern. So anybody who believes that there's some kind of sense that this is all just baloney, I have to tell you, things are working out very, very well. And we are more than relieved at how things have been have been going. So we've got that going for us. And we have also, yeah, I'll, I'll look at, I'll tell you about the poll because it's, 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 it's a midterm poll and it's done for, by Harvard Harris and the top issues in the ranking and immigration. And I'm sure it's illegal immigration topping the list with uh, 36% calling it the biggest issue uh, facing the nation. And so the economy and everything else has kind of gone by the wayside when it comes to exactly what they are, uh, where they were talking about. So you see this, by the way, I, I this is driving me nuts there are Republicans now, and we can't find many of them who are representative of the news media who are giving the president props when it comes to the economy. And these guys who are on these MSNBC shows are seemingly so hapless. And I think Santorum does a, kind of a good job when it comes to what's going on, but I really don't see – any of these guys out there, I mean, obviously on MSNBC, we get the conservatives, for instance, on the New York Times, who are never Trumpers. We have conservatives at the Washington Post who are never Trumpers. Hey, Vicky, how you doing? Hey, D. Hey, Sandy again. Tim, how's it going? What's up? Josh, how you doing? Josh is out there for uh, Austin Peterson. I, I'm going to have to ask Judge Napolitano about Austin because Austin used to work for him. So. That'll be interesting to talk to him about that. Anyway, back to MSNBC and Republicans represented on CNN and MSNBC. I noticed these guys just don't hardly even put up a fight. They're just basically up there to be bowled over, whether it be on The View with Meghan McCain or whether it be on CNN with Rick Santorum or in this case with MSNBC and you have – this guy, Mark Thompson, who is a uh, frequent guest on the the show, and there's a former Ted Cruz aide. His name is Rick Tyler, and he's on. And they're talking about the shutdown threat, and they're talking about the wall, and then they're talking about Kavanaugh. And it's like, what? Yeah, but one he doesn't put up a Trump fight here. Is these judges. I mean, evangelical voters are going to vote for Trump 
no matter what, if he keeps right. pushing these, these judges through. Kavanaugh's a giant win for Republicans. Well, but, but if we can show that a lot of his opinions, if we can get them all to come out, are not in the best interests of Americans, that may actually help us at the polls. That's one card that I think we have no choice but to play. We have nothing to lose by playing that card, and I think it works. This guy is not very smart, by the way. His name is Mark Thompson, and I think he thinks that he, as long as he has crazy hair, he's going to have some degree of credibility. What is it about some of these guys, though, by the way? You can't just be, and again, I'm not, and I'm not trying to be gratuitous here, but dude, come on. I mean, your Afro man bun thing, I, I, I don't know whether that's just a, a get up, kind of like a costume you're wearing to make you look tougher than you are or more gangsta than you are, but it doesn't help your cause and it doesn't help you or it doesn't help me think that you're any more credible than than I do. And the fact of the matter is he's just not in the best interest of Americans. I got news for you. President Trump was elected for a reason. And a number of factors played into it. Not only not only is it the economy that people wanted to grow, they wanted something done about illegal immigration, and they wanted something done about the Supreme Court when there are vacancies. And they wanted a person who was reflective of their views in there, and they wanted President Trump to be the one to choose that, and President Trump was the one reflecting their views. And so this best interest of American stuff, that's already been decided what's in the best interest of Americans because they voted on November 8th of 2016 about what they viewed their best interest to be. And their best interests were President Trump being elected president and deciding who the next two, maybe even three Supreme Court justices are going to be. So this idea, it's not in the best interest. You're just going to do what? You're just going to try to do over in the midterms in for, for upcoming in in November? No, you're not going to you're not going to re-prosecute the election of November eighth, two thousand sixteen. No matter what you say. Now, keep in mind, Mark Thompson just argued basically that this guy's really truly not Kavanaugh's not in the best interest of Americans. And Rick Tyler hardly puts up even a fight. I mean, you know, it's like... Rick, last point. Um, I do think you'd lose some credibility. I think Judge Kavanaugh is pretty mainstream. I don't. There's no opinions that we've seen so far that have really uh, seen that he's radical. And He's opposed to Roe. He supports um, semi-automatic, semi-automatic weapons, if not automatic weapons being represented in the Second Amendment. But, but He Ro- doesn't believe a president should be investigated. Which kind- the, 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 First of all... The Constitution, this idea that he doesn't believe the president needs to be investigated is baloney. <laughs> Kavanaugh, don't buy any of this. And Rick, Rick Tyler apparently wasn't good enough in terms of refuting this. But first of all, the Second Amendment is an interpretation that Kavanaugh talked about regarding the constitutional merits of the Second Amendment. So the idea... Yeah, Bill Murphy, happy Afro man bun day. Yeah, happy Afro man bun day to you too. So the, I, let's go back because this is so this is so pedestrian. And, and again, automatic weapons being, being he supports um, semi-automatic credibility. I think Judge Kavanaugh is pretty mainstream. I don't. There's no I'll opinions that we've seen so far here. that have really uh, seems that he's radical and he's opposed to Roe. 
first of all, there are legal scholars who are opposed to Roe. They're opposed to Roe versus Wade because it's bad law. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who actually back in the day was clerking for one of the judges involved in the whole thing, she even said that Roe versus Wade was terrible law and is terrible law. And the fact of the matter is, even if Roe versus Wade is overturned, it just goes back to the states anyway, which, lo and behold, is kind of the way the founding fathers imagined things to roll on a federalist model. So it's not a not that he's against it just to be against it. If you look at it, whether or not it stands up to any kind of constitutional scrutiny, people on both sides of the aisle politically have agreed that if it were ever challenged, the likelihood is it would be overturned because it's not based in any kind of constitutionality whatsoever. It's based on this navel-gazing, finger-in-the-air, you know, f- testing the ways of the wind kind of attitude, not only about viability of the human being, but it's just it, – we've discussed this before. It's a mess. So it's not radical to believe that Roe versus Wade is bad law if it's ever challenged. We don't even know whether it's ever going to really be challenged. The idea of a Supreme Court just simply thumbing through its files and deciding it's going to take it up and and get rid of it is probably not going to happen. It's a rarity, and I might ask the judge about that. He supports um, semi-automatic weapons, if not automatic weapons, being represented in the Second Amendment. But okay, first of all, I don't. I don't. That's a butchering of the English language, and I can't even make it through that sentence. He's supportive of semi-automatic weapons being represented in the Second Amendment, whatever the hell that means. But I think what he means is he supports semi-automatic weapons on the grounds that they are defensible under the Second Amendment. I think that's what Man Bun is saying right there, but I'm pretty sure that's what he's saying. And that's not a radical point of view that a semi-automatic weapon is something that an American citizen should legally be able to possess under the Second Amendment. Keep in mind that the Second Amendment is solely designed to provide Americans with a way of being able to defend themselves against the tyranny of their own government. And a semi-automatic weapon would help. I'm not saying that it would be able to, (laughs) you'd be able to uh, go up against the, the U.S. Army, but I am saying that it's defensible under the Second Amendment. It's not a radical view. In fact, it's been it's been reaffirmed time and time and time again. Margaret Sharp, you're up. Good morning, this morning, Margaret. And then finally here. He doesn't believe a president should be investigated, which contradicts what he did in the star. First of all, Kavanaugh never said he doesn't believe a president should be investigated. Kavanaugh has only pointed out that there are certain powers that are given to the executive branch, and there is a real question as to whether or not an employee or a person who is serving at the leisure of the president can, in fact, subpoena him. That's been a question that has been age-old, and the executive branch has a lot of different kinds of powers that have been granted to it by the Constitution. And there's a question as to whether or not truly 
the president can be investigated by his own Justice Department. That, that just is that, – that, and the reason for that is you have to wonder whether that's fraught with danger uh, when there is an attempt of sorts to go ahead and pursue a palace coup. It could happen. And it's one of those things where it has to be talked about. The executive branch, you'd be amazed how powerful that is in terms of the rights to protect itself. And listen, the legislative branch has just as many protections, and the judicial branch has just as many protections. So this is not radical to view this. I mean, he doesn't, Kavanaugh never said he doesn't believe. Maybe I should be on with man bun there. Star team. And people are going to have legitimate disagreements about that. I, I think that I think the judge thing is over. I think that's lost. And, and I think the, the Democrats would be better to focus on their economic message of the future where Trump, as I pointed out earlier, uh, these protectionist policies are going to hurt America. We don't need we need real farms, real farmers, not fake farmers. So I don't I, star on the star team. And people are going to have legitimate disagreements about that. I, 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 I don't think that's I don't think that's a good Republican response to Afro man bun there. To just say people are going to have legitimate disagreements. Those three things that he just brought up are not legitimate disagreements. Those are, those are not – those are issues that have been battled time and time again and talked about time and time again. And the, the, the case has been ruled on on all three of those matters. And, and, and yeah, will there be other – situations that arise that are going to be challenging to the Supreme Court? Yeah. I'm just saying Republicans can do better on these shows, but they they get these guys who are weak and they get these guys who just go up there. They're afraid to say something because they're contributors on the show and they're intimidated and they just don't put up a good enough fight. But again, it is MSNBC and most Republicans aren't watching MSNBC anyway. So, oh well. Hey, by the way, this is going to be fun. It's another Brian Williams palooza here that I'm going to have a little fun with. Because Brian Williams, apparently, people are very upset that there aren't tough questions being asked to President Trump. Well, we're going to revisit Brian Williams and how tough he was on President Obama. Then we're going to get into, and I can't wait for this, actually. I want to break down because this is fascinating to me. I love all the news. I love the hot news about the economy. I love the hot news about Cohen. I love the hot news about the beginning of the trial of Manafort. I love the hot news about illegal immigration. I love the hot news about trade. I love the hot news about the fact that the Italian prime minister was in town yesterday. Right after I got back from Italy. I love all that hot news. But I really want to really am fascinated about this Monopoly piece story. Where one guy with a group of people uh, with a cabal of racketeers managed to win every major prize in the McDonald's Monopoly game. It was a fascinating story. So we're going to deal with that. Jimmy Hoff's going to be in at 745. Judge Napolitano making his celebrated return at 720. I want to ask you guys again, though, if anybody can. Hey, Lise, how you doing? I want to ask you guys again if anybody can tell me. See – because a lot of you don't listen to the other station anymore, or at least in the morning. So I, I don't know what's going on. But Judge Napolitano, when I asked him to be on the air with me again, specifically asked for 
the 720 break, which would be 820 there in D.C., in New York. And he specifically asked for that, and that is the time, Tuesdays at 720, that he was on the old show with me. So I'm trying to figure out whether you all know whether is he has he been moved to another slot in that morning time to or to another day or whatever. I didn't I didn't really want to get into it with him on that. I'm not going to get into it with him now. I just was curious because he specifically wanted the same time he and I have talked for years. So I was just yeah, Margaret's like what other station? I know, but I was just trying to figure that out because I'm. I'm I'm actually pleasantly surprised. I actually thought, well, maybe I'll do, you know, a different, maybe I'll do a different time since I'm sure he's probably on blah, 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 but apparently he's not. So I don't know whether they moved him or did whatever. So if anybody knows, uh, let me know. Also pleased to announce that tomorrow Pam Geller is going to be back on the show and rejoining me. So that's going to be fun to have Pam back on. Uh, and so Pam's going to be on a regular slot. And then also I think we're going to talk to Genevieve Wood tomorrow. She's back from vacation with the Heritage Foundation. And then we are also going to have Jimmy Carafano joining us also at 8.30 today. Doug Giles is going to be with us. So I haven't talked to him in a good long while. And also going to let you know that on the offing, in the offing, Eric Bowling is going to be joining the show as well. And Eric Bowling's over there at CRTV, used to be over at Fox News. So Eric is going to be on with us as well. Nice guy. I've been corresponding with him a little bit. And uh, he's a good guy, has a new book out. So we're going to talk to him about that. And so, yeah, we're growing leaps and bounds. And I'm trying to think of a good time to pop down to Santino's Cigars and Cocktails right there off of Vogel Road in beautiful Arnold. And I think I have designated the day as Thursday. So if some of you want to join me down there on Thursday, early evening at Santino Cigars and Cocktails, where they have your bottle, people, and they have one of the largest humidors you're going to find anywhere in the land and the beautiful, brightly, gorgeously lit confines of Santino Cigars and Cocktails. Mike and Shannon, really appreciate your support of Radio Free Almond. So if you want to pop on down around, I don't know, I'll, I'll figure out exactly what time we're going to go down there, then that's going to be uh, great. Yeah, Tom, looks like the old gang is getting back together. Nice to see you again, too. Ran into Tom Bright yesterday, and uh, welcome back to Civilization, buddy. I know you've been traveling a lot. Stan, what's going on, brother? Hey, Stan, you and uh, your lovely one, I thought we're going to possibly be putting together a show for Radio Free Almond, so we'll talk to you about that uh, as well. And so, hey, yeah, things are growing. And the show is growing, and I'm really appreciating all the brand-new advertisers who are starting to join the show. So I'm going to come back, going to run the hot poker up, Brian Williams, and then at 7 o'clock, G is going to be joining us, 7.20, The Judge, 7.45, Jimmy Hoft, and 8.30, The Great Doug Giles. Without further ado, you know what's coming here.
Yeah, so you got a little bonus national anthem there. It's my fault. I was trying to find one of my... Trying to find one of my brand new uh, favorite Hank Williams songs. <laughs> so I was, while, while the national anthem was playing, and of course my hat was off, as you all know. Have you ever heard this song, the Hank Williams song, uh, Cow Liga? You ever heard that? It's an awesome one. I, I thought I downloaded it, but I guess I didn't. Because I really love Hank Williams Jr. And I was wondering at first, and, and, and the thing about Cow Liga is such a, such a great song. Let me download it for you real quickly. Because uh, it's it's a... Oh, they don't pull me off of Facebook. I don't think they will. Over Hank Williams Jr., you think? It's, a, it's about... It's, a, it's about a... Um, I think it's about a cigar store Indian or a convenience store Indian. Here, listen to this. I love this one. Take it away, buddy. Come on, man. Elijah, sorry. <laughs> so I think it's great. It's a great song, but you know, it's you know, all these old Indian songs, or I guess you got to call them Native American songs now. I, I'm always surprised that they like. Would you be able to still do that now? Because everybody's so prickly about, you, you know, cultural appropriation and all that kind of stuff. And so the country guys always used to get away with it. And, they, and they'd be able to kind of do the, do the Indian songs like Cherokee Nation and all that kind of stuff. Would you still be able to do Cherokee Nation now? I mean, I, w- I would hope so. I, hope, I would hope that you could. But... I don't know whether you could these days. Something tells me Hank Williams doesn't give a rip, you know? What you think, <laughs> what we think, or what any of those goofballs think. It's a great song, I'll tell you. Thank you, Hank. Thank you, Hank, Hank. Yeah, Monday Night Football intro. That's right. That's one of the best. Obama! I have that one, too. I need to get back. That's one of the things we're going to do when we get back to uh, Radio Free Almond 2.0 is when we get the new studio and everything else, we're going to kind of retool and have some new technology where I can get my stingers back and some of the old sound bites back because I I miss those like you do. You know, we're having trouble in the video room and Pastor Manning and his Obama thing. 
Get your ass up out of here. I need to play that for Mark Cation when he does appear. You know, those kinds of things. What else? Trouble in the video room. They let me do that because I'm not growth. That guy, the wheel, the guy who was from uh, Reno 911, the roller skating, halter top wearing dude. <laughs> that, was, that character was so darn funny. Yes, we're going to be pretty big soon. We've got the Greek, we've got the pink slushies, and he's like his jailhouse gangs. <laughs> so, yeah, I miss those. I, I, I don't even have Good Morning, You Bunch of Drunks. I used to. I had that intro, but I don't have it anymore. Somebody else had it on the computer, and, you know, people just kind of go in and out. They decide whether or not they're going to. I usually don't find out until the last minute that people are no longer just kind of coming in with me on the show. It's like, oh, really? Okay. Uh, don't get back to me then. That's fine. So anyway, that kind of thing is happening. Yeah, leave Britney alone. That was one of the better ones, too. It's not going to be hard for me to recover all these. I just have to take a day and just go back and figure out what kind of uh, system I want to have on the uh, on the computer. Let me see. Um, <laughs> sounds like you were snagging, more, I guess, in sponsors. No, actually... Scooter, when you say that I'm snagging these guys, you know, they're not their guests or their sponsors. They're mine. But, yeah, I know I'm getting your point, though, about that. I was curious, though, because I didn't know. I'm not doing it on purpose. I'm not, like, raiding anybody. These people are coming to me. Except I did ask Judge Napolitano just on a whim because here's the deal. People were telling me that last night there was somebody who, who questioned on the Facebook page how I can have the Fox News people on if they are not an affiliate uh, of of mine. And I don't know. <laughs> I, I was told by Todd Starnes early on, he was one of the first guys I wanted on the show, that Fox News told him he couldn't be on with me because I'm not a Fox affiliate. And then just because that's who I am and that's kind of how I've been making my career here, I never give up, and so I had the occasion to have a conversation with Judge Napolitano when I was in the run-up to going to Italy, and it was about possibly seeing Cardinal Burke over there, and Cardinal Burke is a mutual friend of ours, and I just reached out to him to talk to him about that and then just asked, oh, by the way, can you be on the show? And he was like, yeah. Of course I can be on your show. I'm thinking, oh, okay. I didn't get into it with him, but I was told by Todd. So so I never bothered to ask any of these people whether they would be on the show with me. I never bothered to ask Maria Bartiromo or Kennedy because I thought, oh, well, Todd said that's a policy, so boom. And I have a feeling with Todd, and I, I don't know this for a fact, I'm wondering if Todd was – you know, because he gets he is syndicated, his show is, and I'm wondering whether there might be a little bit of the fact that his show is syndicated on some intercom stations around the country. I don't know, but I'm just telling you that I never even uh, I never even bothered to ask, and now I'm going doubling back and asking all of them to be on the show with me. Because if they'll be on the show, they will. And and the one person I did talk about getting back on to was Chris Wallace. Now, I'm not quite sure. He's pretty tightly managed over there, and he tightly manages himself as well. 
So I don't know whether he's going to be one of those people who will just simply say to him that I'm not going to be on with anybody else not affiliated with Fox News. But I might just get Chris Wallace back on. Now, half of you will say, no, we don't want him on. It was insufferable. The other half of you will say, yes, have him on because we liked your back and forth. And Jeffrey is one of those guys. And, yeah, I, I really liked it too. I did I did like talking to him and I did like having fun with him and messing around with him. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to get him back on as well. So I'm going to just double back and ask all of them to be on the show uh, with me since the judge is going to be on at 720. And the question I asked initially was when I asked the judge to be on – that he said, oh, I'm a hugger. Yeah, I am. Thank you, Lisa. And, oh, Chris Steyerwalt, you want me to, you want me to get Chris Steyerwalt back, do you, Ben? Uh, one of, that's one of, the, one of the benefits of actually leaving a Fox affiliate station is that I wouldn't ever be faced with having to talk to Never Trump or Chris Steyerwalt again. That's just the way it goes. It's kind of like you might as well talk to Dana Perino and her dumb dog, Jasper, again. But yeah, I he, Judge said he wanted to be on at the same time that he's been on with me for years at the other station. So I was a little bit curious about that. All right, speaking of uh, news people, so Brian Williams, interestingly enough, was uh, wanting tough talk and has been for a long time uh, tough talk on President Trump. It happened yesterday with the Cohen thing. It happened way back in February of 2017 when Brian Williams was again, you know, hey, we need more tougher questions. Out of this gathering, however, is not anything either leader said. It was exactly the opposite. It's what wasn't said because it wasn't asked. So he's really upset and has been. And he did the same thing yesterday with the Italian prime minister and the news conferences. And by the way, President Trump has been one of the most successful individuals out there who has been in a situation where uh, he's talking to the media and being with the media to the degree that that he is accessible. Every time he's heading towards a helicopter, Marine One, whatever, he stops and talks to the press in the driveway. He's been more accessible than any other president before him, and yet he's still criticized for not talking enough to the press. And I'll give you an example, too, about the frustration level where it's reached, because Jim Acosta, basically, they were, they were just simply run the hell out of the Oval Office when they were all allowed in there, by the way, for President Trump sitting in his yellow chair to talk. And finally, whenever it was over, the press office said, you know what? It's over. Uh, get get the hell out of here. We're much, done. Thank you. Mr. President, Mr. President, if there is no collusion, Mr. President, if there is no collusion, why does Rudy Gianni, Giuliani keep saying there is no crime? In- I like how Jim Acosta messes up when he's being Mr. Pitbull. Rudy Giuliani, I like it when he like flubs his Little gotcha question. It's pretty funny, actually. Nice to hear. No collusion. Why does Rudy Gianni, Giuliani keep saying there's no crime in collusion? Let's go. President, Mr. President, do you think other countries, Mr. President, do you think other countries should not allow children to stay with their parents if they come in illegally? Come on, Jim. Go. We're done. Yeah. We're leaving. 
herding them out there like a bunch of stray dogs. I, that's, and, they, and they deserve that. They were all they all ask questions just as stunts anyway. So why shouldn't the media? And this is being viewed, by the way, by Brian Williams and everybody else as somehow President Trump shutting the media out and shutting down the media and 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 you know preventing the public from getting the proper answers that they need. Now keep in mind. This was a far different kind of presentation we got from the likes of Brian Williams back when President Obama held press conferences, even held press conferences and beyond and was available because these guys always talked about how reflective and pensive and interesting and intelligent President Obama was. Listen to, listen to him when, when they talk about a, a – a, press conference that occurred uh, back right before President Obama left office. This is Brian Williams again here. Listen to this. Chuck, if you love movies and or politics, it is sometimes impossible to watch these things and not hear the words of Aaron Sorkin about the hard work of the presidency, the (laughs) real work of the presidency, uh, the view from the cheap seats, his words, not the president's. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was a a kind of fascinating walk through the mind and the presidency of Barack Obama. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fascinating walk through the mind of the presidency of Barack Obama. That, that's, that's how Brian Williams and the news media behaved when it was Barack Obama who was president of the United States. He'd have a news conference or he'd have some press availability and people like Brian Williams would be out there going, you know, this is a fascinating walk through the unbelievable mind of a brilliant statesman, Barack Obama. I mean, it's unbelievable the difference. So the news media essentially has just become a big gaggle of harassers and stalkers. They're not interested in trying to educate or illuminate for the public. They're interested in screaming questions so that they can go back to the newsroom and be treated as heroes by Don Lemon. But boy, that's a very different kind of approach to it. Would you ever hear President? Uh, uh, would you ever hear Brian Williams speak like this about? Donald Trump. Chuck, if you love movies and or politics, it is sometimes impossible. Yeah, it's just like an Aaron Sorkin movie. But you think you'd ever hear Brian Williams say that about a President Trump press availability? These things and not hear the words of Aaron Sorkin about the hard work of the presidency, the real work of the presidency, uh, the view from the cheap seats, his words, not the president's. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a, a kind of fascinating walk through the mind and the presidency of Barack Obama, among other I mean, unbelievable. And it doesn't stop there. You remember when Brian Williams decided that he was going to go on a limo ride. Now, I'm just trying to imagine, if you can, for instance, first of all, the idea uh, to if, if President Trump were going out to get hamburgers for his staff, what do you think the news media would say to that if the president was going out and getting hamburgers? As you recall, remember when Obama could smoke like a chimney and nobody would give a rip. And I didn't give a rip either. I always thought the president ought to be able to smoke in the White House for crying out loud. So I was more than happy to give Obama the right to smoke in the White House. I didn't care one way or the other. But then President Trump dares to have like a, uh, I don't know, what was it, fried chicken on an airplane one time? And the media wouldn't stop talking about it. 
about how fat he is and how he's does he eats fast food all the time. Remember that? Remember when the, there, there was a time there, right when the president took office. Uh, thank you, Kathy. I appreciate you very much, dear. And thank you, Scotty. Margaret, thanks a ton. But the media was obsessed with the president's diet and what he ate and how healthy he was. Remember they had the doctor out there and the doctor was giving the president some kind of uh, exam or some kind of physical or whatever. And everybody was accusing the president of lying about his physical and he's really not this weight. He's the other weight. And they were talking about this guy obsessively about what he ate and everything else. President Trump, right? Well, recall the day when Brian Williams decided he was going to do a six-minute segment on President Obama's limo ride to get hamburgers for his staff. Six minutes. Who will take his seat here, and before us are all the things we can't describe. Um, we're going on what's called an OTR in White House parlance, an off-the-record, off-campus trip. Um, yeah, it's called an OTR, says Brian Williams. He's, he's, he's really all in on this one. This is called an OTR, off-the-record. Yeah. Are you going to get shot at by, uh, by RPGs on your way to the five guys, are you, Brian? Not allowed. And not- we were shot at by RPGs as we uh, went off into the distance to go to Five Guys. And then we were attacked by Apache helicopters with the Syrian National Army logo on them. Yeah, that's what happened. Allowed to report uh, the final destination. The press pool is loaded in the vehicle. Yeah, Stan remembers when Bill Clinton ate McDonald's all the time. It was like a badge of honor for him. Ah, oh, there he is eating another hamburger. He's just like a regular old guy. He's a regular guy. I mean, isn't – let me ask you this. Whenever a politician – because remember John Kasich would go and just stuff his face with pizza? Remember that? And, he, and, he, and Kasich is one of those guys who chews with his mouth open, which is not endearing. But apparently to be a regular guy in politics is to go to like a, a grocery store or a fast food place, although the grocery store thing didn't work out well for – H.W. Bush, remember that though. But still, to go and be the everyman, walk into a place and get a pizza and just be like the regular guys. And Clinton would be somewhere and he'd go in and get an ice cream cone or whatever else. Or sometimes the better part was when they would uh, have a situation where they would show them. I remember when Hillary was running and they were showing them grilling. And grilling hamburgers for the people out at some kind of campaign picnic of sorts, right? And President Clinton, former President Clinton, helping out his wife was grilling hamburgers. And you could tell that dude has never grilled a hamburger in his lifetime. I mean, he was holding that that spatula like a like a hand grenade. He didn't. He didn't. He, didn't, he thought maybe it was going to blow up in his hand. I mean, it was unbelievable watching him grill hamburgers. Anyway, still, that, that's the badge of honor and the mark of an everyman when you go and get hamburgers. What, but heaven forbid President Trump goes and get a, gets a hamburger or eats fried chicken. Then suddenly he's trolled for being fat and eating fast food all the time and we're concerned about his diet. Remember they were concerned about his mental health? Remember those days? Whatever happened to that story? 
behind us, and it's part of our day in the life of the White House. Back inside, the president knows exactly where we're going, and he's taking lunch orders himself. Yeah, Brian Williams asking tough questions of President, President Obama. I mean, here's a guy who spent the first 600 days of this president's presidency demanding that reporters ask tough questions of President Trump. And here he is spending six minutes on a burger run with Barack Obozo. President Obama likes to live outside the bubble when he can, and this will be one of those outings. What's the Five Guys option? We're going to get some It's funny because they panned over from a, from a bust of Martin Luther King over to Barack Obama during the let's go get hamburger story. Like that's just what, that's just what Martin Luther King would have wanted his first black president to do. Go out and get a hamburger. And I can bring it back for you. I'll take one. So we're going to get some burgers. You want a hamburger. Come on, you got to indulge yourself every now and then. I do. Okay. Two burgers for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> you want fries? I mean, this is, only, this is only the first minute of this, and it's drudgery. It's like, it's like being walked to the gallows watching this thing. But I'm, gonna, I'm playing it for you because you need to know about how Brian Williams and the rest of the media, when they talk about tough questions of President Trump, they're absolutely being disingenuous and dishonest because they never did the same for Barack Obama. They were too busy chasing him around and, and, and kissing his rear end. You have a jackhammer to ruin their butts from the lips. To of the guy. waiting limousine, it is clear the president is anticipating that this will be the best moment of his day. And by the way, do you think that if you are the president of the United States, that if Donald Trump said that going to get hamburgers would be the best moment of his day, how do you think the media would portray that statement? President Trump going to get hamburgers, no doubt this is going to be the best moment of his day. And do you think that they would give that to President Trump? No. But to Obama, apparently going to get hamburgers is the best moment of the day, which does not speak very highly of President Obama. Now, nothing against hamburgers and nothing against Five Guys. Boy, they give you a lot of fries at Five Guys. We were at the airport there in Atlanta coming back from Italy. And I got the kids some Five Guys. And I don't know whether they just potatoes, they just get potatoes for free or whatever it is, or fries, whatever where they come from. But they just fill that bag full of fries. You can't even eat most of them. Good place, though. Off The low-profile, so-called OTR nature of this motorcade means no markings. The presidential seals are removed from the doors, no flags on the hood, no thundering motorcycles. Brian Williams is acting like this is the D-Day invasion. They take the seals off, it's an OTR. Then they go to the... It's like, dude, you're going to get hamburgers with the president. You're 117 into a 628-minute story about the president going to get hamburgers. Two years later, you're going to lecture us about how the media isn't tough enough on Donald Trump and asking tough enough questions. And by the way, okay, so you have President Obama in your limo ride, right? And you have him in the back of a limo. You're sitting in the back of the limo with him. 
Isn't that the time to ask the tough questions you want the media to It's one of his brief shining moments with his jacket off and feet up in the back seat. We're off for an undisclosed burger location. He calls it a brief shining moment. President Obama going to get hamburgers is a brief shining moment for El Bozo. Inside, it's about as close as a president gets. Yeah, actually, Margaret, they are pretty pricey. Five guys. They do. They, they, this. That's a. I, usually, it's like about ten, eleven bucks when you get a hamburger. Being alone, stretched out, decompressed, and the talk turns to life at the White House. So here's a lifestyle question. I've always wanted to know. You're watching ESPN at night. Family's asleep. If you're like most of us, you cruise around. You stop by the cables. If you're like most of us, you cruise around trying to figure out what story you're going to make up next. I mean, watching television. You're going past MSNBC, CNN, and you see a debate underway about you and your presidency. Truth. Do you stop? Do you do you listen? I have to say, I generally don't. How can you? The uh, you know. Um, mainly because I don't find uh, most of the cable chatter. Do you want to hear any more of this? Because, I mean, it goes on and on and on. He go- then he goes to five guys, and they herald him like he's uh, Caesar the Emperor coming into five guys. He orders it. He gets back, and now, you know, he's at five guys. He goes ahead, and then it continues on. It's not enough. To do that, now they're back at, at the White House, you know. Back at the White House, he exits the limo with two enormous grease-stained shopping bags. Yeah, can you imagine President Trump with two enormous grease-stained shopping bags in his hands? And now keep in mind, some might say, well, yeah, but, uh, you know, he is overweight so that would be a bad thing well president obama smokes probably how he how he keeps his appetite down but nobody cared about that i certainly didn't care about that any more than i care about whether or not president trump has fried chicken or not but boy this thing this is this is then another two minutes of just president obama arriving with his two bags of stuff full of real food for the hungry staff oh my goodness you got a lot of stuff did you get? Ten. <laughs> you catch up? Yeah. I don't need ketchup. You good? All right, there we go. All right. It's from the boss. All right. So anyway, I mean, it, this. So my, I think I've I've well proven that these individuals are who claim that they want more toughness on President Trump were never nearly closely, in any way, shape, or form tough on President Obama. I don't actually remember any time. They were ever tough on President Obama because they were so scared that their first black president would somehow be offended, and most of America would if they just dared to question him on any level, and actually went in the opposite direction, ladies and gentlemen, when it came to reporting on him. All right, coming up, Gia is on the way. Gia Valenti going to talk to her a little bit about uh, her uh, Learn with Moxie. She's got some updates on what's going on with that in terms of getting kids unplugged from their devices. We'll talk a little bit about that and how we uh, traverse the old uh, Europe trip with the devices in hand. 7.20, we've got the return of Judge Napolitano to the Almond Radio brand. Radio Free Almond's debut 
Uh, the great Judge Zabalatano going to talk about the Manafort case, going to talk about the Cohen case. 7.45, Jimmy Hoft. 8.30, we've got Doug Giles. And so we've got a ton of fun for you coming up. I do want to pass along and thank you very much for giving me the update. I can't remember who did it. But, yeah, thank you, Kevin. I, I definitely did spare you the rest there, buddy. Uh, and, Chris, yes, thank you. I did. I did. I made it stop. Lisa, <laughs> Mama K is like, I'm just, you know, you're just making me hungry. All right, so somebody just mentioned that the great, late great mayor, Bob Lowry, uh, Flores had passed away uh, over the last day or so. I guess it was last night. And... Mayor Lowry, I I love the guy. He's a good man, and I knew him when he was actually chief of police there in Florissant and then went on to become mayor and was always a great guy and really good to me as as a reporter. And his sons are awesome. I think one of them now is still the chief of police there, Robert Jr. I can't – sorry if I can't keep those names straight. Uh, And I know that his daughter Kathy was a salesperson or is a salesperson over there in – uh, at 97.1, and I had a great relationship working with Kathy Lowry. So my condolences to the entire Lowry family on the passing of Mayor Robert Lowry. And he's a was a good guy. And the one thing I think that if you had to ask him was one of the real issues that was left undone when it came to Mayor Lowry and law enforcement was because he used to be also the head of the major case squad. And so when there was a big murder, big this, big that, he would be the the guy who was uh, in charge of the major case squad. And he was on the major case squad when we had, remember the disappearance of Angie Hausman in St. Anne? I believe it was 1990 or 91. You guys can correct me on the date there. I could look it up, but I, I, I've just learned about the death of Mayor Lowry, so I didn't have time to do any kind of, you know, research on that one but it was uh 1990 or 91 it was one of the first murder cases i ever covered and it, because because there was a there was a tear of them these young girls who were kidnapped and you know and there was one girl they was they resolved that one and it turned out the person who was responsible cassidy i think her name was uh i think that guy was they caught the guy and it wasn't it turned out it wasn't uh, his um he wasn't responsible for the Angie Hausman disappearance but she was kidnapped from hey Melissa what's going on hey mama k hey Lise, how you doing this and Vicky what's up babe so i think it would be the lack of a resolution of the Angie Hausman case in St. Anne which still even disturbs me because she was kidnapped or disappeared, and then they found her in Bush's wildlife area there, and it was a horrible death for her. And I think she was nine years old, and it was a very disturbing case, and it rocked the community, and they have yet to resolve the case 
of the murder of Angie Hausman. And I know you guys remember that. I know I, I haven't had a chance to talk to Mayor Lowry uh, for a while, but he, as head of the major case squad, I know that he was very – that was one thing that – and I know there are a lot of cops out there who worked on the case who definitely are just – still confounded by this thing and bothered by the fact that they weren't able to resolve it. And there were some really good good law enforcement people on this case, and they really busted their rear, rear ends to try to find out. They had some ideas, but they couldn't figure out really what exactly happened. They had some ideas about what might have happened and who might have done it. But they couldn't figure it out. One of the things that was curious about it is that there was there was some talk at one point that it could have been a family member. But the reason why that they didn't think it was a uh, family member uh, – no, Vicky, I think his, his son was eventually on the major case squad, but it was Bob Lowry before he was mayor when he was chief of police of Florence and he was on – he was head of the major case squad back at the time of the disappearance of Angie Hausman. But they thought it was, yeah, Shay Sims. Okay. Cast, yeah, okay. She was seventh grade teacher, Rittner. I uh, remember that. So the reason why they, they, why they kind of couldn't figure out this idea that it might have been a family member is because generally, and I hope I'm not freaking people out about all this weird stuff, but uh, generally, based on my experience with the police and with some of these homicides, and it doesn't matter whether they're older or younger, uh, they, that when it's a loved one, they can always tell that it was probably a loved one who murdered somebody. And the way they tell that is that generally what happens is, is, is the person who was murdered is – taken care of so to speak they're usually wrapped in something or they are wrapped in blankets or they are you know there's a there's a there's some sometimes some telltale signs among police officers that it's a loved one who yes his son was on it too yeah that's a loved one who is part of that gia come on in babe that's gia valenti she's in she's in now and yeah and oh by the way mama k uh speaking of that i thought you and you i you i thought you and your friends were gonna do some paranormal show on radio free almond because you're you're into that stuff we need to get together and do that hi gia hi hey you are wearing the one of the brand new radio free almond colors yes, i am it's awesome I'm rocking it it looks great i love them Love Learn with Moxie.com. How's that going? Ooh, this is loud. No, is I'm it in, loud? You're like Hen- Henry yesterday. <laughs> no, Henry didn't have a problem with his headphones. No. He's just high maintenance. More, yeah. A little bit. Sorry. It's okay. Well, I'm not, I'm not getting, hearing. Getting Gia all fixed up here. Uh, check, check. There. Perfect. There Good. you go. Yep. Hi, Amy. Thanks for joining the show. All right, Gia's wearing one of the brand new colors. Awesome. Yes, I'm Looks advertising Looks good on you. for you. Thanks. So what, what is it called, though? Camo green? Um, no. Military green. Military green, green right. And then there's Looks a, good. There's a forest green. Yeah. And then there's the white marble. Oh, I know them all. <laughs> yeah. I love these tanks. They're so cool. Gia, all by yourself, funding Radio Free All. Yeah. Thank you very much, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. No, it looks Thanks. good. So if you guys can see the color on it, it's uh, 
Jesus modeling them. And you, you, what did you have? What did you ask him for? The winter white? What's it called? White Heather? marble. Oh, 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 yeah, white marble. White marble. Yeah. yeah okay. So, so yeah. check it out. RadioFreeAlman.com is where you can uh, find it. I don't know whether have you been in St. Louis your whole life? Born and raised. Okay. So, do you remember the Angie Hausman case? No. Okay. Well, it, you were probably young. You're you're a young whippersnapper. So you probably were too young. Angie Hausman. Nine-year-old St. Ann girl kidnapped. Oh, okay. Okay, no, you yeah. do? Okay. So, and I know your husband probably knows a little bit about mm-hmm. that. Uh, Paul probably knows a little bit about it, but uh, he, he was probably a young police officer, too, at the time. But anyway, she was kidnapped, found in Bush's wildlife, mm-hmm. and, and I was just fasting forward because Mayor Lowry of Florissant passed away, and I've known him for a long, long time, and his family is great, and he was head of the major case squad at the time. And I was trying to figure out like what one regret that Robert Lowry would have. And that is the fact that there was a lack of a solving of that murder Mm -hmm. of this little precious girl, nine years old, who was found murdered in, in Bush's wildlife. And I was trying to explain to people that they at first thought it was maybe somebody in the family, but what sent them in a different direction was that, was that based on, Everything they knew before that, and obviously this could change and doesn't always bear fruit, but the fact of the matter is usually when people murder a loved one, police say that basically they can tell sometimes Mm -hmm. that they're killed by a loved one because they're wrapped up. They're sometimes taken care of. Their body is actually in an odd, spooky way. Mm -hmm. There's a sign they're taken care of. They're in blankets or they're whatever else. But Angie Hausman was basically uh, 1993. Thanks, thanks, Tricia. I was trying to nail that date down. But but the Angie Hausman was left to die horribly. In fact, she died of exposure. She mm-hmm. died f- basically um, froze to death, mm-hmm. tied to a tree. So to them, it was or chained to a tree actually. So there was no one. So at that point, police thought this is. Probably that it might not be a loved one because the, the 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 way the body the way this person was treated, no one possibly there, there's it, it was it was such a hate filled horrible murder right. that it was hard for them to believe anybody close to her could have done this. Mm-hmm. So that's where it sits, and it is yet to be resolved. They had a bunch of different wow. suspects. And uh, it was is Kevin. Kevin knows a little bit. He was on the major case squad for 15, but they have yet to resolve this. And I'm sure, as a police officer, first and foremost, that uh, that she was that that's what the one regret Bob Lowry would ha- would have if you asked him is that that was never resolved. So, how's it going otherwise? Great. Yeah. Yeah. How's Learn with Moxie going? Well, I school's almost starting. Yes, I um, I'm really excited because and nothing is official, but my book that I wrote is in the hands of a publisher. Nice, and they like it, but there's no deal yet. We're just I'm I'm in waiting mode. So, so the book itself is it, what, is it called Learn with Moxie? It is not okay, and I'm not revealing anything. Oh, but okay. I'll just say I don't want to call it a children's book, but I. Don't want to call it an adult book. I'm going to call it a family book. Okay. Is it about what you talk about regarding- It's a fictitious story loosely based on real events in my personal life. Oh. 
my with my children and mm-hmm. oh nice yes so it has nothing to do with it does oh it does okay yes. It does. It has to do with this technology thing. I but, see. Mm-hmm. So now it's a fictitious story? Yeah, I mean, okay. it's, yeah. The characters are fictitious and the um, circumstances are somewhat fictitious, but yeah. I'm excited. I'm, but, we'll but, but, but in this case, you can't say that any resemblance to real people is uh, completely just not intended. Well, a little bit, a little <laughs> okay, bit. Okay, I mean, I my you. Trudy and Eddie are, it's Trudy and Eddie, Yeah, but they have different names and they're different oh. ages and they, Aww. I mean, it really is, it's my babies, so. That's cute. All right, so when are we going to know more about that? When I, when I know more. Okay. I'm in limbo. All right. But so, it's, and, sho- it's showing promise. Yeah. We had, uh, in taking the kids overseas, it was a pretty interesting foray into whole the whole device world it's a long trip long trip yeah and and on an airplane you know for that long delta which by the way is a great airline and i really really had a great experience with that uh when you're on a trip that long it is nice that they have the movies and the the games Mm -hmm. in the front of you in the front yeah so they have the device already there for you Listen, my daughter goes to an orthodontist where every single chair is equipped with this, almost like this, it's an arm, uh-huh. and it's mobile with an iPad in front of it. Right. And see, that's not something that concerns you as much as just this daily living kind of kids glued. Like, I had a problem with uh, Aiden, 13, mm-hmm. and you know he's texting and stuff like that while walking through Rome. I'm like, right. dude, put, put your, your phone, phone down, yeah. or I'm going to grab it out of here mm-hmm. and throw it into... One of the fountains. thousand fountains in <laughs> in Italy here. <laughs> no, I, I mean, di- okay. Does it bother me that there's an iPad in front of my kid at the orthodontist? I mean, there's nothing unless she wants to do it. It's mm-hmm. not like playing something. Yeah, but I do think that's. A little, I I understand they're a high tech office. They have n- millions of kids that come through there, but you can't get your braces tweaked. For the few minutes you're there without <laughs> right. a device. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. It just irri- it ir- does irritate me. It might be, I guess, maybe a way to distract them from what could be considered to be pain. We didn't I don't get know. distracted. <laughs> I know. I know. Because you <laughs> sat on. there and you sat Tough there and took it. It was like it was like we were like in, in Marathon Man getting our teeth pulled, you know? Exactly. So one thing though I did like, and that was that I could see how it can be addicting, the the device thing, because I never like I don't play games. On computers or on my phone or anything else, but for instance, you know the plane ride on over there. You know I was alone, so I joined the family over in Italy. So I, I flew. I went overseas on my, on my own, so I had plenty of time. I did. There were some people I talked to and things like that, but some people don't want to talk, and mm-hmm. I get that too. And sometimes I don't want to talk, so I watched a couple movies and I, I watched I Tanya. Have you ever seen that before no. about Tanya Harding? It's no. a great movie. I would love that, though. It's a really good movie. That and way. I've always had sympathies for Tanya Harding. So it's a really good one. But you want to you check that out okay. sometime. I, Tanya. I, Tanya. T-A-N-Y. Or was it Tanya? T-O-N-Y. Yeah. And it was, I think, I think Jenny, Allison Janney won an Academy Award for that, I mm. think. as Best Supporting Actress or something. But she was really good in it. And so, but I also kind of got mildly obsessed because I found some games on there. 
So I played Blackjack and and Texas Hold'em on there. (laughs) And I couldn't stop playing it. And and, and plus, they don't turn it off when you're landing or anything. So you could play it on through the whole thing. So no Candy Crush for you. No Candy Crush. I did play chess, though. Really? Yeah. And I really love chess, but I'm so horrible at it that I just got just smeared every single time Hmm. by the machine. I've but never- I could see how it can be an obsession because yeah. you're just kind of like wanting to, to keep doing it. It sucks you right in. Yeah, it does. Everybody. Yeah. It's not just kids. It's adults too. I mean, everybody's sucked into the phone or the device. I mean, it just it's what it does. Check this out. It's Italian Day here at Radio Free Almond. It is? Yeah. What does that mean? What do well, we Well, we've do? got Gia Valenti. Oh, yeah. And we have Napolitano. Judge Napolitano in with us. That's about as, I guess that's, oh, and you know, yesterday we had the Italian prime minister in, who, by the way, uh, Conti, I think his name is, and he is a really good guy, and he's said to be probably one of President Trump's closest allies in the Western European world, which is a good thing that he has Mm -hmm. such allies like that. And I was wondering, because I was over in Italy, and and I, I noticed that a lot of individuals really do uh, in Italy like President Trump. I was I was wondering about that, and I was going to ask you that while you were there, and I thought, no, I'm not going to bother him. And But I was glad to, that you were investigating that and asking the people. Yeah. And, and I was they, very curious about that. Yeah, they do, and I think it's a, it's a similar – Carafano kind of pinpointed it. He said, you know, Italians are a lot like Americans. They admire Americans and their moxie, to borrow a phrase from Gia, and, they, they, and, and their energy – and I love and Italians, man. I just sat there in awe of how great they were, how great drivers they were, how nice they were, mm-hmm. patient they were. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, you were talking about how they're so different, how we're different here, and you weren't hating on America, but you're just like everybody just gets so rattled and angry oh, over I know. everything. And yet the Italians are known for their tempers and their feist. I never, right? never, I never saw one ounce of road rage. I never, they didn't even honk a horn over right. there. All right, we come back. It's the reunification of me and Judge Zabalatano, Gia Valenti on for the ride, 745. Jimmy Hoff's going to join us, so I'll be back in just a second. And hopefully we we'll, won't get yanked off of Facebook. We're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to go dark on the sound here. I'm going to get Judge Zabalatano's number all set up. And give him a shout. We will be back in just a sec with the great Judge Andrew Napolitano from Fox News. So it's 7.20 on the dot. Let's go ahead and give uh, Judge Napolitano a call here. Hey, good morning. It's Gary. 
Hey, Gary, how you doing? It's Jamie. I'm fine. Oh, Jamie, hi. Are you all set to go? I am absolutely set to go and looking forward Wonderful. to talking to the judge. Good, yeah. Hold on one second. All right, brother. I don't think he realized, knew that we were going to be. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Judge, I have Jamie on the line for you. Jamie himself? Yes, Jamie himself. <laughs> judge Andrew Napolitano, <laughs> it is so great to talk to you. Uh, I, I know to you I may look old. Here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Here comes the judge back to Almond Radio, Radio Free Almond, and Judge Sapatano. How you doing, my friend? I'm fine, Jamie. How are you? My God, it's been so long. It absolutely I'm surprised that you landed on your feet. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that. And it's been a long slog, but it's also been kind of energizing and fun. And you know what? Nobody keeps us down, and we're working on some things legally that I won't discuss with you. But you know uh, the, the nature of the deal, so I won't. I won't get you involved in this because there's plenty of other legal things to talk about. But it was so great to hear from you and talk to you again. And get you back on the Radio Free Almond show uh, with me because that was one of the highlights of my week was being able to kind of touch base with you uh, about the issues of the day and have a little fun and, you know, just talk about some nice things here and there, even about Cardinal Burke, for instance. I did not manage to see him over there because he was actually in Wisconsin uh, uh, in La Crosse for uh, some events over there with his old friends. But Italy was... Yeah, you know, the same thing happened to me last summer when I was in Rome. He <laughs> told me in April, now, when you come to Rome, you come and find me. And by the time I made my plans in early May, he planned to be in the U.S. In fact, he was here in New York City when I was in Rome. Oh, wow. Strange world. Well, you know, it was so fascinating to be, for instance, at the Vatican. We did the whole tour thing. But then uh, on Sunday, we hightailed it from the Coliseum over to St. Peter's Square, and we managed to catch the Pope's Sunday noon address from the window, which was just remarkable. I don't, I, it was so surreal to be right there and seeing the Pope himself speak from the window. It was a beautiful message and beautiful day, so it was quite awesome. Great. In, in, in spite of what people think of the Pope, it's still the Pope, you know? I mean, of kind of disagreements well, on certain issues. I agree with you on that. I mean, I disagree with him on many things, but yeah. he's still the vicar of Christ and a historic uh, figure and uh, has the opportunity to do great good. I, I, I wish he would start doing great good. <laughs> Me too. And, and I also wish he would listen more to Cardinal Burke, but we'll see how that that goes. He he would do well to do that right. for a lot of us who, who know Cardinal right. Burke and know what's, what's right and wrong. All right, Judge, so I, this thing with, uh, first of all, today begins the Manafort trial, correct? Yes. Yes. This is the first of two trials, one in Alexandria, Virginia, which is the federal government's favorite place in America, to try people because they rarely lose. They have sort of uh, conservative Republican jurors who believe that anybody the government charges with a crime is likely guilty of whatever the government has charged them with. He then has a trial in Washington, D.C. These are for separate alleged acts of crime or acts of alleged crime. The crimes are financial crimes that precede his involvement with the Trump campaign, not his involvement with Donald Trump, 
because he did have some business dealings with Donald Trump when Donald Trump was a private citizen and not running for president. But none of this has anything to do with the allegations of uh, a conspiracy to receive aid from uh, Russians during the campaign. So prosecutors, when they're looking for crime A and stumble upon crime B, like you're looking for evidence of check kiting, and so the FBI agents are in a box in the bottom of somebody's closet, and they find a severed head. They can't pretend that the head is not there. They have to start investigating, well, how did this get here? I'm giving you a lurid and unlikely example. Uh, they begin investigating who, what, where, when of Russian involvement in the campaign, and they come across money laundering or allegations of money laundering by uh, Manafort. They indict Manafort and his business partner, Rick Gates. Gates was also the um, deputy campaign chair during the time of the that Manafort was the campaign chair, and this is the time of what until yesterday we thought was one meeting with the Russians, then one of his maniacal rants on Fox and CNN, Rudy Giuliani says there might have been two meetings. Without getting into what Rudy is doing, in my view, to undermine uh, Trump, nevertheless, Manafort is now confronted with two money laundering uh, trials uh, for the uh, surreptitious receipt of funds and the failure to pay taxes on it. Uh, going back uh, seven or eight years, still within the statute of limitations. So he'd probably be, be convicted on both, and then the government will say, "Look, you're facing sixty years in jail. Do you want to die in jail, or do you want to help us uh, prosecute your former boss?" Ah, so that was the question: Is there going to be any kind of blowback from this particular event on President Trump or the Trump administration? Like, what, is, what, what are the pitfalls? Well, the government, the government has been criticized by this judge, whose name is T.S. Ellis, not T.S. Eliot, T.S. <laughs> Ellis. Yeah. <laughs> he has basically said, look, I know why we're here. We're here because you're trying to squeeze this defendant to, uh, to cough up evidence against the president. The government, of course, that may be true, but the government will deny it. But in denying it, the government said our witnesses will not mention the word Russia, the word Russian, or the word Trump. They sort of promised that to the judge because he wants to try this as a straightforward criminal trial, which is what the government says it is, not as a political circus that may involve the president. Now, here's Manafort's defense. It's a very interesting and over-the-top defense. His defense is that he was, again, investigated for all of this and exonerated by the Justice Department eight years ago. And a young U.S. attorney in Baltimore looked at all the evidence against him and decided there was no crime. And his first witness he has threatened, or his lawyers have threatened, will be that former U.S. attorney from Baltimore. Do you know who that is today? Rod Rosenstein. Oh, you're kidding. The number two person in the Department of Justice. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, yeah, you can't make this stuff up. So, you know, the government has gotten the court to grant immunity to its witnesses so they can't be prosecuted if they testify that they were involved in Manafort's crimes. And Manafort's going to call the person who effectively runs the Department of Justice as his chief witness. So I don't know where this is going to go. The government rarely loses these crimes, but we'll see. 
so Rosenstein, so if he testifies, this could be kind of crazy, right? Oh, it would be huge. If he testifies, he would, he would give the reasons why he elected not to prosecute Manafort on the same evidence and the same alleged crimes eight years ago, back when this stuff took place. And that the, the defense hopes would put enough doubt in the jury's minds so that they acquit. So at this point, then, what could happen? Is it possible that somehow there's going to be, you know, sometimes in mid-trial, there's some kind of deal cut or what have you, and then suddenly, uh, because they want to avoid this situation, is there is Manafort basically going to stick to his guns and say, absolutely not guilty, you've got nothing, zero, and take it all the way? I don't, I don't know, because Rick Gates said that. That's Manafort's former business partner, and deputy campaign chair uh, during the summer of 2016 before Manafort was fired and uh, Steve Bannon was brought in. Uh, I I don't know what Manafort will do. That is uh, the government's hope that he will eventually cave. And that's probably why there are two trials for two separate series of financial uh, crimes. One trial is in, as I said earlier, in Alexandria, Virginia, and the other is across the river in uh, the District of Columbia itself. The, the chances that he would be acquitted on both are pretty slim. It's possible, but I don't think it's probable. All right. So on Friday, there was a clip I was playing of Rudy Giuliani and Chris Cuomo. And I thought, oh, this is a pretty interesting interview. He talked about Cohen. He talked about the fact that Cohen actually uh, recorded his client, which is a disbarable offense and this kind of thing. I said, okay, that seems to be going pretty well. That sounds reasonable. Then suddenly yesterday, Rudy Giuliani is all over the place and talking a lot. And, 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 And in your mind, it doesn't seem to be helping the president, right? No, I think it's hurting. I think it's hurting Trump, and I'll tell you why. He has uh, become Trump's PR agent, more so than Trump's lawyers. Lawyers are not permitted to attack the credibility of witnesses in the public. They have to attack the credibility of witnesses if and when they testify against their clients in a courtroom. When lawyers begin attacking the credibility of the government's witnesses, then the government looks upon that as witness intimidation. You're trying to make life so miserable for this witness that it won't help us. And the remedy for that, Rudy knows this because he used this as a remedy when he was U.S. attorney. The remedy for that is to remove a lawyer from the case. He was so maniacal uh, yesterday saying, well, that might have been a second meeting and uh, Donald Trump didn't collude with the Russians, but even if he did, it was a crime. This is the first time we've ever heard that even if it did, and this is the first time we heard there might have been another meeting. Uh, this stuff uh, radically harms Trump, and if Giuliani were uh, removed by the court from the case because the feds are able to show that his behavior is the functional equivalent of uh, harassing uh, witnesses, um, then Trump will be on his third uh, set of lawyers. This will be very, very dangerous for the president because there's um, 1,400,000 pages of documents that the new sets of, set of lawyers would have to review. So Rudy's really on very thin ice, uh, and it's of his own uh, creation. I don't know what their strategy is. It, uh, it just doesn't make sense.
it seems like there's a little bit of a grain of truth to the idea that Cohen is not such a credible guy, though, because normally as a lawyer, you wouldn't record your client's conversations, correct? You need correct? your client's permission to record. So it's not uncommon today when a client gives a lot of information to a lawyer from the client's head, not in writing, for the lawyer to say, would you mind if I taped you because you're, you know, it's a more efficient way to to capture what you're going to say. And the, if the client says no, then the lawyer doesn't tape. If the client says yes, then the lawyer does. It is unethical. I don't think it's disbarable. I think Julianne is exaggerating. But it is unethical for a lawyer to tape a client, his own client without the client's consent. It is not criminal, however, meaning that the tape is, a, is lawful evidence that can be used by Bob Mueller. This is one of 183 tapes that the feds have seized, many, many, many of which have um, uh, Michael Cohen and uh, Donald Trump on them. Yeah, well, that, and that's that's the thing, and and I, and obviously we already have decided that obviously New York is a one-party state, so it, 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 recording them themselves is not a problem. But but as a lawyer, it could be unethical, but doesn't mean. But you, Correct. But you're saying doesn't mean no that less mean. unethical than than threatening the government's witnesses before they've even testified. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that just seems to me, and Giuliani. Listen, as a former federal prosecutor and everything, wouldn't he know better? Or what do you think is – He should. You, he should. But right now he's unhinged. Yeah. So. That is crazy. All right, Judge. Well, I know that you are on a short leash normally because I have all the time in the world with this show now because I have so much so much, so much, much uh, terrain to be able to cover. And so I really appreciate that with all the sponsors I have and everything. Still, I seem to have a, a lot of freedom with the show. But I know you – that doesn't mean you – have a half hour either. So I want to ask you quickly before we get it. But I enjoy my time with you and I'm going to be away for much of August, but okay. Labor Day, I would, if you want, would love to get back on our regular uh, weekly routines. I would love it. I, I, and our audience just so is happy to have you back and really appreciate it because a lot of them have come over uh, from the old gig. So I really appreciate you joining us. And it was so great to have you on real quickly though. What part of Italy are you from? Your family from? Three quarters from Naples. Ah. That's Napoletano, which means someone from Naples. One quarter from Firenze, Florence. Oh, wow. I, fl- yeah. I flew into Florence from Paris uh, to meet up with the family. Florence is absolutely beautiful. And, oh, God. It's just a spectacular place. And boy, do I love Italians. They, and they love them some Donald Trump. They seem yeah, to, they at do. least. Yeah. They, they're tough yes. people. And I love the way they drive. And they're, they, I didn't hear one horn honk, didn't see one argument. They're smooth as butter, buddy, over there in Italy. The food is God great. God bless you. Jamie, all the best. I'll talk to you next week. All Thank right, you. friend. Take care. That's uh, Judge Knapp. You can find him on Bye. Twitter, at Judge Knapp. So, yeah, judge, the judge doesn't have as much time like he had before. Like, like, like well, like on 97.1, mm-hmm. you know, I had to get him out of the – and he had a short period of time. But right. he – he had, you could tell he his shelf life was starting to diminish there because he had to be on TV. Right. And his buddy Gary told me that uh, ultimately, but I take him as long as I can. How would you rate the quality of this call? I rated it a five. The Skype rapes. I don't know how they they do these things, but what? Uh, oh, after these things. Yeah. After I thought you were talking about somebody on Facebook said that. No, it's 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 a uh, it's a it's a Skype thing where you can actually 
gauging. That's interesting stuff, data. though. Like, I really want to love Giuliani because I think that he has done a good job. Now, Judge Knapp, though, isn't reflexively like anti-Trump or anything like that. But legally, sometimes he he knows what he's talking about. Right. I mean, not sometimes, Absolutely. but he knows what he's talking right. about. So, I'm not sure what this behavior is with uh, Rudy. Well, what's weird is yesterday he was on Fox and Friends. Mm-hmm. Then, because of all the stuff that he stirred up on Fox and Friends, he calls into the five. Not, oh, not the five, but whatever that thing is at the You're Surrounded show, whatever that is. Oh. Um, Chicks mauling a dude on Fox News. No, it's a... Uh... Outnumbered. Outnumbered. Yeah. That's it. So Outnumbered is on, and he calls into Outnumbered on the phone. I have no idea about all this. And so it becomes kind of one of these things where it's like it seems like he's now suddenly having to double back and answer these questions, and it just becomes – at that point, it becomes kind of a little bit of a mess. Right. You know what I mean? And and I I think that I like him – and I think a lot of us in the normal, average, everyday world don't see anything wrong with kind of him going right. out there and being a pit bull. But if you're monitoring this from a legal standpoint, right. it's a little bit of a problem. Yeah. Although I think Cohen is a turd ball. So, Ugh. I mean, don't you? A little bit. I mean, I think he's shifty. Absolutely. Like he's weird. Yep. You know, one thing I didn't know, like, where is, your, where is your family from in Italy? I'm Sicilian. Oh, Sicilian. Way, yeah. way down there. Yeah. Way south. Mm-hmm. In the tip of the boot. Mm-hmm. I see. But then um, I learned recently, I thought my mom said that my great aunts were northern Italian. Oh. Well, you don't look northern Italian. No. You look, They're light. Uh, every bit They're Sicilian. They're light. They're blonde and blue-eyed. Yeah, they're, they're more... They're more mm-hmm. uh, on the lighter end there. But once you get deeper south in Italy, the darker Dark. the darker you get. Yep. But now, so I noticed one thing I learned in Italy, too, was I should have some Italian music here for us. Here, hold on. I want to do the Amalfi Coast. Oh, yeah. That. Wouldn't that be just, I've never been. I, I've been to Italy. I spent more time in France than I did Italy, but. Well, you know what I think you would like also is I think you would like the hold on a second here, will you? Give me give me a little bit here, will you? No, why this isn't working for me? You know what you'd really like too is I think you'd like Cinque Terre, mm. which is and, and uh, Cinque Terre is that little area there. It's like five kind of uh, towns, five small towns mm-hmm. that are on the Liguri Sea mm. there. And it is absolutely beautiful. One of the favorite things I do, you'd walk in these, and each village has its own little distinctive flair, and they all have their little uh, castles and forts. Because apparently, just basically throughout history, the last 2,000 years, everybody just basically attacked each other. They, 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 wouldn't, they wouldn't leave each other alone. They were... They were bothering everybody, each other, and raiding each other's villages, and pirates would come in, and all that kind of thing. So these guys all decided, hey, you know what? We're going to build a wall. A lot of walls walls. in Italy. Yep. And so, yeah. Here, hold on a second. I'm trying to find this really quickly here. One thing I also learned was uh, that the... uh, Hold on. Why isn't this working? Hang on, baby. Let me pull this up again. Um, One of the things I also learned is is that... Spaghetti, like pasta, 
isn't necessarily a thing that is all throughout Italy. Did you know that? Did you were you aware of that? No. Oh, okay. Um, well, like in in m- many parts of Italy, uh, it's usually just like they eat a lot of they eat rabbit, right? And they eat lamb, lambs, and like but 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 the but, but the pasta. pasta thing. Unless you get more south, the pasta thing you, you don't really necessarily uh, uh, get a get a taste of that everywhere mm-hmm. you go. Or and 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 white sauce is basically. It doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't exist in Italy. Like Alfredo. Yeah, people like yeah. will ask for Alfredo, and 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 Italians were like, um, "That was invented in Massachusetts. Right. It, it wasn't. It, there's no such thing as Alfredo." Yeah. But one of the things I loved about being in Cinque Terre is because I guess it's more of the sea, whatever. I uh, was able to just you go into any shop there, and you're able to get. I I would just have them, uh, just pinch a few white anchovies into a little plastic mm. container for you. I just eat them on the street. Mm. Love anchovies. Me Especially too. Especially white ones. The white ones. They're phenomenal. Yes. So good. But that whole thing with Liguria Sea. Now, the Amalfi Coast, isn't that part of like the Italian Riviera? Is that what that is? That's a great question. Oh, okay. Do you is know anything about Italy at all? Or very, you... very little. Oh, okay. I just was wondering. I know more about Sicily <laughs> than I do Italy, but I've been to Genoa. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah. Yeah, I was I I just I love the place. I love the people there, and I just really felt like they were uh, very understanding. Like there there were some Italians, and they just do not speak English. And so people, if Americans go over there and get annoyed with them, that's not nice because they, there are some Italians they just don't speak English. But there are other people who absolutely do, uh, and and you know are very. Very nice and and able to talk, but but the, even the people who don't speak English are very nice. They're just like, nah, I don't speak English. Sorry. Does anybody in the family, your fam, in Andrea's family, speak Italian? Well, we we had a little bit of of that. Um, there were some people who were able to make their way. Andrea was able to make her way to a certain degree with that. Did you and take then, Spanish? I what's that? Did you take Spanish in school? Spanish? Mm-hmm. Uh yes. Because apparently it's so you know if you know Spanish you can. Make your way with the Italian. Yeah, it's you know that's interesting because sometimes that's true and sometimes it's, it's not. not. Right. And and then you learn that the English language is very difficult comparatively. It is, and yet so many other you know countries learn English like that. Yeah, and, and, and here we are, like, oh, I don't know, I'm sort of, kind of, maybe a little fluent and and. We yeah yeah, and our I, language is very complex. Yeah, I had I had the thing with the, which was the Google uh, the Google Translator, and so I I had the so I could do English to uh, I would Italian. Like, like yeah. Let me just see here. Um, uh, let's see. Welcome to Radio Free Almond, and then I could just simply do English to Italian. And then if I want to uh, hear it pronounced Bienvenuti alla, alla Radio Free Almond, I can hear it. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether I can or not. Let me see if I can. Turn my thing up. I could do it in Italian. But I, I couldn't figure out figure it out for the most part. Because I was trying to like, oh here. Oh, I see. This was a this is a speaker mo- speaking mode. 
but I want to be able to hear it, I guess. I couldn't um, hear. Oh, my, it's muted. Please turn up the volume if you want to hear. Okay, here. I know it's a long way to go, people, but for me, it's not. Here. Benvenuti alla Radio Free Alman. Why do they choose to... stroke. An 80-year-old woman from Rome. Welcome to... Boy, you think it'd be at least sexy. That's really bad. Yeah. Here, here, Diane Reem, please do this in Italian for us. I didn't hear one Italian who talked like that. Not one. Golly. I don't remember this being the voice when I was there. She sounds like... I'm walking my poodles and then also speaking Italian while I'm in Rome. Flew over here from New York City and they had me record this Italian voice. I'm gonna have, here, have her say something else. I'm gonna, I have, her, I'm gonna have her say. Uh, um, I'm gonna have her say your name in Italian. Welcome to Radio Free Almond. Gia, you're going to hear this old woman do that for you. Wicked Witch of the North, Valent, Gina Valenti. Here. Welcome, <laughs> Gina Valenti. Benvenuti alla Radio Free Alman, Gia Valenti. Gia Valenti. I actually didn't see too many old people in Italy. At least if I did, they didn't look old to me. It doesn't seem like anybody ages over there. Like, like, for instance, when you're driving in Italy, you never, like, yesterday, I'm behind this old person who's doddering in the left-hand lane, and, and I don't know whether it's just that once you get to that age in Italy, you just give up and stop driving because you'll be eaten alive on the roads, or that there's no such thing as old no doddering people in Italy, except for this lady, who she's what. I mean, she wouldn't last a second in a roundabout, that woman. I mean, I'm serious, an Italian roundabout? Yeah, okay, we'll come back. Jimmy Hoff's going to be joining us. You'd think they would really, honestly, you would think they would choose, like, somebody a little or, more. Or give you an option to, you know, like the Australian Siri versus. They might give me an option. I don't know. Oh, here. Google apparently yeah. went to an Italian nursing home to get everybody's <laughs> voices down. <laughs> you, guys are, you got an old man there, Gia. All right, we come back. Jimmy Hoff's going to be joining us. The very patient Jimmy Hoff. And also at 830, the great Doug Giles is back. Gia, you uh, pointed out on Radio Free Almonds fan page that you were reading Pussification. You like that book, huh? Oh, outstanding. All right, we'll He's come unreal. back in just a second with a great Jimmy Hoft. It's Radio Free Almond. Don't forget, RadioFreeAlmond.com. You can get the same color RFA shirt that Gia is wearing over there, the military green, or a couple other colors that she suggested. She says they did. There you go. Check it out. We'll be back.
morning. Good morning. This morning, Jimmy Hoff, the Gateway Pundit, gatewaypundit.com. Long time no talk, but welcome to the show, buddy. How you doing? Great. Good, good. Good to be back with you, Jamie. Yeah, man. You know, I got to tell you, it's been crazy. Just had Judge Napolitano on, and it appears that this Rudy Giuliani gambit uh, is possibly creating a little bit of trouble for President Trump. But the bottom line is, it seemed to me the news media, and you're always on top of this, the news media just basically will not leave this Cohen thing alone. It's their, it's their new thing now. It's like Russiagate and everything else. And they, they just kind of keep clinging to any piece of driftwood that floats by. Mm-hmm. Right. They still have nothing on President Trump. Not a thing. And uh, it's, uh, it's stunning to watch this continue, Jamie. I know you're frustrated about it. I am, certainly, all my readers. And I think... Uh, I think there's a lot of Americans who are watching this, you know, the Trump voters, people who just go to work and church and go to their kids' ball games. Uh, I think they're pretty upset with this. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's unbelievable what has happened to our Justice Department, and uh, I, I've never seen such corruption in my life. The fact that this, this, uh, this witch hunt against President Trump continues, after a year and a half, they found nothing. We know that there was nothing there, and now they're trying to just make up some charge against him. I just think it's, uh, you know, something, Jamie, we'd, we'd expect to see out of a, you know, banana republic somewhere, not a, out of the United States. Well, and speaking of that, too, uh, and I'm, I'm getting a little tired of the, of the news media whining about its treatment at the hands of President Trump. When we were just treated just, uh, the, just yesterday to this scene where we had to see the, uh, the these – Reporters like Jim Acosta basically kicked out of of the of the damn uh, much, room because, Mr. President, Mr. President, if there is no collusion, Mr. President, if there is no collusion, why does Rudy Giuliani, Giuliani keep saying there is no crime? I love, by the way, the fact I love the fact that Jim Acosta flubbed his line while he's talking to the while he's just screaming <laughs> at the president. Rudy Giuliani, I mean, you, Giuliani, I love that. Yeah. But, 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 but we're supposed yeah. to have sympathies for these individuals right. who didn't nearly treat President uh-huh. Obama with the same kind of indignity. And then oh. at the top of gatewaypundit.com, you've got the, the, this, this New York Times publisher warning about journalist deaths. You've got to be kidding me. Right. Uh, it's, it's unbelievable what's happening. And I put another clip of that same event yesterday from the Oval Office where Trump sh- shared a few words and the Italian prime minister shared a few words. And from this other clip, you, you, uh, you can hear these reporters. It sounded like they were screaming at the top of their lungs. I've never seen such disrespect for a president in my life. And these hacks want, you know, it doesn't matter what Trump does. We know that, Jamie. But the, these hacks are just unbelievable. Um, I think it's just atrocious. And an interesting poll came out last week that found that Trump voters, 90% of them believe Trump, and only 10% believe the media. So that's devastating for the left. And, uh, uh, and, it's, and it comes as no surprise just because the way they treat this man, Donald Trump, um, and when you compare that to this love fest they had with Obama where everything Obama touched you know, was just crap by the time Obama left. And here we have Trump actually 
with some results that most of the American public don't even know about because uh, they're just focusing on this witch hunt and this craziness. But uh, that post I had yesterday, that was up on the Drudge Report, where the New York Times, as you said, the New York, the new New York Times publisher whined to Trump about how dangerous it's getting for reporters um, while ignoring these over 500 attacks on Trump supporters since 2016. Brutal attacks. People getting, you know, bloodied in the street. Women, I've, I've seen pictures of women leaving Trump rallies getting cold cocked in the back of the head by some thug, you know, who doesn't like Trump. So uh, please spare me, you know. Uh, Mr. Sulzberger, I don't need to hear you lecture me about violence when you say nothing about all of these Trump supporters who've been bloodied in the street at the past year and a half. Well, plus it's also demeaning for them to co-opt these horrible deaths of journalists at the hands of radicals in third world countries, whether it be in Mexico or Venezuela or even for that matter, Russia, to somehow act like they're under the same kind of siege that these poor real journalists are under is ridiculous. And it's interesting, too, how the news media doesn't seem to be as concerned when someone like Maxine Waters orders all of her flying monkeys to attack Trump supporters and beyond. It doesn't seem to be they don't even bat an eye at that. I mean, truly, when you talk about a third world type of situation that we're in right now regarding the attacks on political people, people standing in line for rallies. I mean, you are right on. Yeah, and uh, there's a court case right now in California. Back during the election in June 2016, Trump held a rally in San Jose, California. And after the rally, the official, local officials, uh, they, they shuffled these people out through one door and right into this mob, this huge mob scene of uh, you know, angry uh, uh, Mexican nationalists and Antifa and just street thugs who were waiting for them out there. And, you know, dozens of these people got beat up in this, uh, in this, after this rally. And this weekend, 14 of these individuals who got pummeled after they went to a Trump rally signed, uh, they're, they're in a court case against the city officials of San Jose. And this weekend, the liberal ninth circuit court of California said that this lawsuit can go ahead so that was some good news. It brings a little attention, just a little bit, to the type of violence that Trump supporters have to go through. So I, I was yeah. glad to see that development this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is. And I wonder, I'd love to double back, too, because, you know, obviously we had all those people arrested for starting fires and destroying cars and everything else. Remember, right, the, the, that week of uh, President Trump's inauguration. And they arrested about 200 of them or so. And they were supposed to be up on federal charges because D.C. is a federal venue. So you commit a crime there. It's always a federal crime. And to my knowledge, not one of these individuals has has been sentenced to go to prison. Not one. And so I think most of them were let off. Yeah, I think they were. There were 200 of them. Yeah, I mean, they. Yeah. and, And. I, I think you were there. I know oh, I was yeah. there. I had some buddies who were filming this this uh, violence, and um, yeah, it was disgusting. I just it, it it really makes you think that there is a double standard now with our judicial system, and I don't think Americans are going to stand for that. You know, we've seen this going on now for a few years, 
thanks to Barack Obama, I put the blame on him. And uh, I, I think most Americans really, they, you know, I'm not content living in a country where we have these elites who can get away with anything. These leftists can, you know, beat heads in and start fires and walk away. And then you have uh, other people like Paul Manafort, by the way, who's going to court today. He was Trump's campaign manager. He's going to court for charges that they let him off of, you know, like six years ago, the same charges. So uh, it's this double standard. It's pretty sickening. Well, and I remember actually that week uh, you and your friends, your people, your activists were having your own inaugural ball. And I remember because I had Aiden up there with me and he was 12 years old and I was going to go, but I, I was afraid to take my son to this thing because of all the threats made to your event. And also not only that, apparently there were people caught on tape or there were people caught plotting to infiltrate your event and what was it pull fire alarms or set, set off smoke bombs yeah, or whatever gas it too throw some throw some type of gas inside the room so unbelievable yeah. i mean it, it, yeah this is this is the modern day left jamie i don't see i don't see any republicans doing this type of stuff none you know but i do see this happening to a lot of republicans and you know what makes me crazy that is that the media who demands respect, um, they don't report these incidents. And so mo- and, and instead, they've invented this narrative where they have a lot of these uh, Democrats believing that the violence is coming from the right. And it's absolutely not true. It's like 90 to 1, you know, as far as attacks. And yet the left is in this you know, this fantasy world where the right is a bunch of Nazis attacking people on the street. It's just, it's unbelievable what's happening. Well, and then, Jim, though, the one thing you mentioned about Republicans, we don't see Republicans doing this. But you know what else I don't see? I don't see Republican leaders calling this kind of behavior out. I mean, President Trump is, but we're, you know, these guys like Ben Sass and Paul Ryan and all these guys seem to be pretty mouthy when it comes to everything else Trump is doing. And and where's Lindsey Graham been or John McCain or whatever else? But but no one ever came to to the, the rescue or to the defense of Trump supporters who were being beaten and everything else. And no one's ever complained about that or brought that to anybody's attention as if somehow it's it's deserved right you know you know jamie i wrote about that in 2016 and it was right after the san jose beatings outside the trump rally um we saw uh, paul ryan that week he uh he lectured trump on something trump said and um you know so he was he was all over that but he never said a single word about the dozens of conservatives and republicans who got their ass whooped outside of a rally for President Trump, which is completely against the Constitution, by the way. You know, you should have the right to assemble in this country. Absolutely. And yet Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell said nothing. I wrote about this because I was just, I was stunned that we have leadership like that that could not even, you know, uh, mention this this violent attacks on their supporters. It's, it, was, it was really strange. 
Yeah, and then you had a situation where I just saw a piece about Ben Sass and the possibility he could be primarying President Trump. I said, good luck with that, buddy. You don't think we're going to keep replaying <laughs> over and over again you laughing at the N-word out of Bill Maher's mouth? I mean, if, you, <laughs> if, if Ben Sass wants to bring it, we will. Now, oddly enough, in spite of all this, this seeming negativity uh, towards Trump supporters, the reality is – Everything Trump is touching politically here in the midterms is turning into gold. You you have a bit uh, where you have Ron DeSantis, who is running for governor there in Florida, but uh, there's a great piece on hot air going back to the, the case in Georgia where Brian Kemp was an underdog in in the race there. And then the minute President Trump said, hey, Brian Kemp is running for governor of the great state of Georgia. The primary is on Tuesday. Brian's tough on crime, strong on the border, and illegal immigration. And then, boom, the guy wins. And Ron DeSantis gets it, too. I'll play you a little bit of an ad that Ron DeSantis uh, is uh, has out there. And believe me, these politicians know what the media and some of the other Republicans don't know, and that is, you align with Trump, you win. Everyone knows my husband, Ron DeSantis, is endorsed by President Trump, but he's also an amazing dad. Ron loves playing with the kids. Build the wall. He reads stories. Then Mr. Trump said, you're fired. I love that part. He's teaching Madison to talk. Make America great again. People say Ron's all Trump, but he is so much more. Big league. So good. <laughs> I just thought you should know. His Ron. baby's wearing a, a Make America Great Again onesie. <laughs> and, 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 but, but so these guys know exactly the truth that the media and indeed even other Republicans refuse to tell. And that is that most of America and these politicians know it because it's proven by every time Trump supports somebody, they win. I hope that's not the case necessarily with Josh Hawley, but nonetheless, once he gets involved, he's done. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, with the DeSantis here running for governor in Florida, uh, he was in a pretty close race, but Trump came out and supported him bigly. And uh, he, the last poll that came out, he's like has 44%, and the next closest was like 10 or 12, something like that. Those are the numbers. So uh, I, I'm a big fan of De- DeSantis. He's been very uh, effective as a congressman. He's one of the few who's been trying to get to the bottom of this uh, spying the, on the opposition where, where Obama and his minions were spying on Trump. It's unbelievable, Jamie. When you look at the real crimes that happened in the, the final years of Barack Obama's administration, and instead we're talking about some non-existent crime that Trump never had anything to do with, he doesn't even have a relationship with Putin, and they try to continue to make something up out of whole cloth. It's it's a uh, it's a strange time we're living through. Yeah, it is. And once again, though, as I think we're going to see with the midterms, is that the voters are going to speak. I mean, we had to we had to deal with this in in, uh, in the run up to the presidential election. People telling us about poll numbers, people telling us this wasn't going to happen, no path to victory, and many of us just sat and said, "We'll see at the polls." And you can say all you want on MSNBC or CNN or do whatever, and we'll just let the vote speak for themselves. Yeah, 
Hey, quickly, yep. what's your take on? Uh, I mean, I know that you do a lot of national stuff, but uh, what's been your take on the Senate race uh, so far? The Missouri Senate race. I just had a couple of guys, Sonny Wilson on and Mark Anthony Jones on with me yesterday regarding uh, this executive committee and their decision to back Josh Hawley, in, even though the primary hasn't happened yet. So, are you are you plugged into this at all? You know, I, I've heard some some of that from my friends here locally. Um, I haven't followed it really closely, but I'm telling you, it's it's. Uh, I think this hurts Holly tremendously. I think uh, Holly hurt himself when he went after Greitens. Um, I think a lot of Republicans in the state are like, "What what are you doing?" And uh, then we find out that that whole mess with Greitens, where uh, the the woman had the tape, but she never had a tape. We never found out the truth there, but it sounded like. Um, Dryton's really got shafted by the Republican establishment in this state. And I think Holly was part of that. I, and I think a lot of people just don't trust him because of that. So I don't think this helps. I, I just no. don't. I know Donald Trump has, uh, backed him. I know a lot of, uh, you know, national Republican leaders have backed him, but, uh, I think things like this, it, it, it's going to make it hard for him. Yeah, I, President Trump, that that whole thing, and I've talked to these guys about it, and it's pretty clear that he's being guided mostly by what he's being told. And so this isn't really uh, Trump's fault necessarily, uh, but he's being guided by some of these people. And, and oddly enough, they're linked to one of his most voracious enemies in the form of John Danforth, who wrote a scathing, disgusting editorial against President Trump, uh, then-candidate Trump, uh, in Washington Post, I believe it was. And that will forever be in the annals of bitter, vengeful St. Jack garbage, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's unfortunate. And the, the fact that uh, we see, Holly, that he's been uh, hanging with some of these individuals and they seem to be uh, directing him in some ways, Yeah, I think that's troubling. No doubt about it. All right, Jimmy Hoff, the Gateway Pundit, thank you very much. Thanks for your patience. Sometimes the schedule gets away, but you're always available for me, and I appreciate that. And we'll be available for you too, buddy, at thegatewaypundit.com. Take care, friend. Yeah, thank you very much, gatewaypundit.com. You know, since we were talking about Italy earlier, uh, let's go then to – you want a Pinocchio reference? Because remember when Pinocchio – of course, I – you know, the older kids... Pinocchio Italian. Yes. It sounds like it. Well, Geppetto. Geppetto. You know, it's Italian. Yeah. Actually, if you go all throughout Italy, there's... The, all at all these little Disney souvenir characters. stores, there's Pinocchio <laughs> things all over the place. Really? Yeah. Uh, so, Pinocchio. Mm. Pinocchio. Uh, so, but he... And, and I one time showed the movie to the older kids... Uh, and that was back when you did the VHS tape and you mm-hmm. plug a Disney VHS tape in there. And I watched Pinocchio. But some of the older Disney stuff is kind of um, intimidating for little kids. But Ethan and Katie didn't seem to mind it. But then I plugged it in for Aiden when he was little. And then the minute Pinocchio caught on fire on Geppetto's mm-hmm. workbench, I had to take it out. It was a little too much to mm-hmm. have a Disney character on fire. In flames. Yeah, in flames. But anyway, my reference to Pinocchio was this, and I was going to talk about this yesterday with uh, uh, Mark Anthony Jones. 
Josh Hawley reminds me of when Pinocchio wandered off and hung out with all those cigar smoking near do wells. Right. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And they were in Pinocchio thought he was better life then and you yeah. know, wanna be turned into a donkey or yeah. something. I don't know, I can't remember exactly what the story was. But uh he remind Hawley reminds me a little bit of that because I never really had even before all this, I never really had an issue with Josh Hawley. I'd have him on the air. And by the way, I didn't ask Judge Abatano about about Austin Peterson because it was we didn't have a whole lot of time. And when I have him on next, I'll talk to him about uh, Austin. He's I, I think he's going to be on with me next week, and then he's gone for the majority of August. But I'll still get him on, I think, before the primary to talk about Austin. But anyway, plus, and I kind of forgot. So anyway, uh, the Pinocchios hang out with these people. And, and Hawley, I never really had an issue with. I interviewed him time and time again about the Hobby Lobby case and about all that kind of stuff. And I always thought he was a pretty nice guy. And he, he, he was always, you know, before he ran for attorney general, he was always accessible and seemed to be a good guy. And even when he was running for attorney general, I was very supportive of that whole endeavor. And I guess even running for Senate, it wasn't that big of a deal. The problem was, though, to me, he was misguided by all these people. He, he, I think he started to believe his own press too much. And he was kind of like in that Pinocchio sense, thinking that he could just hang out with these people and this would be a better life for mm-hmm. him and it would make him a real boy, so mm-hmm. to speak, mm-hmm. or a real man. Right. Uh, and, and so unfortunately, he's been misled. And so an otherwise tolerable person who actually could and ha- and has a political future has now been tarnished among people in the grassroots who by the way vote oh yeah so just because you're polled doesn't mean you're voting right and and, and i know everybody out there especially in radio free almond land and beyond that you all vote that you you're the people that go to the polls. And, and, and I haven't found one person, and I guess maybe, maybe there are some people who are Josh Hawley supporters and they just decide they're not going to, they don't want to argue and they're not going to get into it and they're going to go ahead and vote for me. And I, I get that. I understand that. But most of the people we're talking to aren't on board with Josh well, Hawley. Well, your listeners aren't. Yeah. Now, you would ask me because you're voting absentee, right? Mm-hmm. Are you going out of town? Yes. So the but your list didn't have Holly on it when you asked me like who you should vote for absentee. No. And I told you I don't I don't make I already voting. have I already have my mind made up. Anyway. Do you? Oh, who yeah. is it? I'm not saying why because. I'll wait till because I why because I don't want to share. <laughs> <laughs> because why? Let me put because it this I way. So. All right, come on, put it this way then. Is it is, is it Holly? No. Okay. For so so let so okay. So let's just at least. But I believe that the candidate that I am voting for can beat Claire McCaskill. Right. There are many people out there who are fearful that if we don't vote for Holly, she's going to get this, and I don't think that's the case at all. No, I don't either. Because we were told the same thing when it came to President Trump. 
remember that they were we were told, oh no, he there's no way he can beat right. Hillary Clinton. The right. only person who can beat Hillary Clinton is Jeb Bush. And we're like, yeah, right. Yeah, no, I I believe that this person can beat Claire. Yeah. And once this person, or once the person, or a person, you know, wins, then the RNC backs them anyway. So you know, it's I, I'm feeling good about it. I'm feeling good about right my candidate that I voted for, and, that I'm, or that I'm voting for. And and the problem though is that there's a there's a strong possibility that if Hawley does get the nomination, there are going to be people who believe that it was unfairly reached. And then those people who feel rooked will not go and vote. Now, obviously there are upsides and downsides to that. And that if you don't go and vote, then you're all but ensuring that Claire McCaskill is going to win. And do you want that? And, and are you willing to go ahead and have that just to keep your sanity when it comes to how rooked you feel by the state party? And also at that point, what if, if Hawley loses the primary and one of the other candidates wins? What at that point, what will the state party do then? I mean, right. will, will, will they – because they've already said they're going to back Josh Hawley in the primary before there's even a, a, a vote. Right. And so what kind of credibility will the state party have at that point or the RNC for that matter at that point? I'm right. fairly sure that President Trump will support whoever wins the primary. Right. But what about the local guys here and about what they did? And then if – Hawley does win, and as Mark Anthony Jones pointed out yesterday, if Hawley does win, what becomes of the other candidates and their desires to address what was clearly wrong in that they decided they were going to go ahead and basically rig an election against them? Right. So what happens then? I don't know. That'll be an interesting question for the candidates when this is all over. Because I if do Holly- – Yeah. Well, because, because Mark Anthony Jones indicated, well, I don't know whether or not there's going to be a lawsuit or whatever, but – and I don't know whether even there's grounds for a lawsuit at that point because apparently suspending Rule 11, which is the we're going to support so-and-so yeah. once they win – is we or you can't support them until they win, whatever. Uh, we, I don't, they say that that was legal for them to suspend Rule 11, but technically it's unprecedented in a race like this because he brought up, well, they did suspend Rule 11 to support Jim Talent, but he was an incumbent. So generally that would seem to right. be an acceptable thing. And then Roy <laughs> Blunt was a congressman who was running virtually unopposed. There were some other people in the race, Mm -hmm. but virtually that was a pretty done deal. This is not a done deal, and they have no proof that it is. Right. There's no solid evidence poll-wise that it is. 
All right, on to something else here. And by the way, we're live in the Discovery Design studio here, discoverydesigninc.com. You can see right there the phone number down there on the screen on your Facebook page. And just look them up, discoverydesigninc.com is the website for all of you people who are in the trucking, the hauling, the building, concreters, you name it. Discovery Design is able to create a fleet, a truck, whatever it happens to be for you. You're in the roofing business. They are big on conveyors. They can do that. They can do anything you want. And people are coming from all over the country to get their trucks made by Discovery Design. I'm pretty sure these guys, I saw it out there when we had the Radio Free Almond event out there, and you were out there. In Mm -hmm. fact, they parked my, my Jeep in there in the event of rain, and and now I think it is the place where they are doing the actual uh, awesome paint job that they're doing on the truck. So they have a new uh, little component there too. So it's discoverydesigninc.com. I got to get – I'm supposed to do their – I forgot I was supposed to do Arrowhead's uh, welcome call thing. I'm sorry, uh, Rick Pogue. I forgot to do that, but I will. All right, so did you see the story, Gia, about this ex-cop – who rigged the McDonald's Monopoly game <laughs> and stole millions of dollars. Wow. Okay? So uh, a guy's name is Jerome Jacobson. Have you played the McDonald's? Oh, well, I haven't in years. But yeah. when I was growing up, I mean, it was – we had to go. I had to – I knew I was going to yeah. get Park Place and win it all or, you know. <laughs> right. Or, or, you know, you get the free fr- – it was always exciting yeah. to kind of win a free, free – Yeah free thing of fries or mm-hmm. whatever it happens to be. So this guy, Jerome Jacobson, wow. had a network of mobsters, psychics. This is a story on uh, the on the Daily Beast. Strip club owners and drug traffickers, and they managed to win every prize for the past 12 years. Every single big prize. And then the FBI was like, um, something's not right about this. So anyway, here's the story, and it's a, it's a really good one. I'm going to kind of read it to you a little bit because generally I know that that's radio death, but it's a pretty fascinating article and I think well-written too. So on August 3rd, 2001, a McDonald's film crew arrived in the bustling beach town of Westerly, Rhode Island. They carried their cameras, giant cashier's check, to a row of townhouses, knocked on the door of a guy named Michael Hoover. Guy's a 56-year-old bachelor. He called a McDonald's hotline to say he'd won their Monopoly competition. Since 1987, as you all know, and so that's probably, I remember those days, Mm -hmm. uh, McDonald's customers, you guys have all gone to the Monopoly game pieces, attached to drink cups and the French fry packs and all that kind of stuff, and you complete, obviously, groups. I'm explaining Monopoly to you, but you know what I'm saying. You complete the groups like Baltic, Mediterranean. Those are the cheap ones. Mm Mm-hmm. I think you get like a, you know, but you won cash or a Sega Game Gear thing. Instant win game pieces scored filet of fish or a Jamaican vacation. But Hoover, this guy, a casino pit boss who had recently filed for bankruptcy, claimed he'd won the grand prize $1 million. So like winning the Powerball, the odds of this guy winning were one in $250 million. There were two ways to win the Monopoly Grand Prize. You find the instant win game piece like Hoover did, or you match Park Place with Boardwalk, as you just pointed out, Mm -hmm. to choose between a heavily taxed lump sum or a $50,000 check every year for 20 years. Just like the Monopoly board game, 
which was invented as a warning about the destruction uh, nature of greed. Players traded game pieces to win or outbid each other on eBay. So there were there were even armed robbers who went to restaurants uh, and demanded Monopoly tickets. So some of these guys were just, you know, so Monopoly quickly became the, a great marketing device for McDonald's. So inside of this guy's home, Hoover's home, uh, Amy Murray, who was a loyal McDonald's spokesperson, encouraged him to tell the camera about the luckiest moment of his life. So nervously cut, clutching this massive $1 million check, Hoover said he'd fallen asleep on the beach. And when he bent over to wash off the sand, his People magazine fell into the ocean. So he bought another copy from a grocery store, he said, and inside was an advertising insert with the instant win game piece on it. And the camera crew uh, were listening to this story and they were like, "Um, this doesn't sound right at all. Like they're like, this is almost implausible. So they said, this guy's really not a winner here, but he's probably part of some kind of conspiracy to defraud the fast food chain of millions of dollars. And you're thinking, well, why would cameramen behind a, a, a camera for McDonald's be kind of sleuthing on the matter? Right. Well, it's because the cameramen were undercover agents from the FBI. Oh, wow. And this was basically a sting operation. McSting, as the uh, Daily Beast called it. So the FBI in Jacksonville, there's a special agent there, and they took this videotape, added to a bunch of evidence, and this guy's a 13-year veteran, and in the last 12 months, his desk had filled with fast food paraphernalia, leaflets for Pick Your Prize Monopoly, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, all these described these. He read small print, revealed how the odds were stacked against the customer, uh, how winning a PT Cruiser were like one in $150 million. And so he went in and then he started investigation. It started in 2000 when there was an informant who called the FBI and claimed that McDonald's games had been rigged by an insider known as a guy named Uncle Jerry. And the guy revealed that the winners paid Uncle Jerry for stolen game pieces in various ways. The $1 million winners, for example, passed the first $50,000 installment to Uncle Jerry in cash. Sometimes Uncle Jerry would demand cash up front, requiring winners to mortgage their homes to come up with the money. According to the informant, members of one close-knit family in Jacksonville had claimed three, three $1 million prizes and a Dodge Viper. So the FBI guy alerted McDonald's headquarters there in Illinois. The executives were concerned about it. The company's top lawyers decided to pledge to help the FBI. And they explained that their game pieces were produced by this company in L.A. called Simon Marketing and printed by an operation in Georgia. So they, they, they're, they're, they print U.S. stamps, mail stamps, and they print lotto scratch-offs. 
the person in charge of the game pieces was Simon's director of security, a guy named Jerry Jacobson. Now, Jerry, and you're thinking, yeah, Uncle Jerry. Jerry. So the person in charge of the game pieces was a director of security at the marketing place that produced the game pieces. So this guy thought, well, that must be the guy. So they installed a wiretap on Jacobson's phone and realized that his tip had led to a supersized conspiracy. Jacobson was the head of a sprawling network of people, even a family of Mormons, who claimed more than $24 million in cash and prizes. And so they wanted to go, who, who would have told on this guy? If they apprehended a winner too soon or he or she might alert other members of the conspiracy, they'd destroy evidence or flee. So the scheme was full, in full swing. The FBI needed to team up with McDonald's to catch Uncle Jerry and his crew red-handed. So this guy, Jerry Jacobson, is a former police officer. And so he was right there, watched the print. He inspected workers' shoes to check they weren't stealing McDonald's game pieces. And I couldn't even go to the bathroom without someone going with me, were some of the workers there. And Jacobson was basically just, you know, a hardcore guy on this time to stuff. And he said, it was my responsibility to keep the integrity of the game and get those winners to the public. Uh, So what happened is that they – you take all these game pieces, half a billion of them, uh, and Jacobson would watch technicians applying the instant winner stamp to blank game pieces and pioneered random watermarks that deterred counterfeiters. So he locked the winning pieces in a vault behind coded keypads and dual entry, entry combination locks, and he scissored out the game pieces slipped them into envelopes before sealing each corner with a tamper-proof metallic sticker. In a secret vest of his invention, he transported the winning pieces to McDonald's packaging factories across the country. Everything he did was overseen by an independent auditor. On flights, she sat in coach while Jacobson flew first class, tried to impress other passengers, flashing his police badge, everything else. And so... He then bragged that he was going to collect his riches from an investment that nobody knew about. So he wanted 10 more people to sign up for this thing. And so here the guy who was entrusted with creating a theft-proof system who was basically on his way to giving out these game pieces and knowing that we're winners and ultimately they'd all turn them in. And he would get money from them, but they would get some money too. And it was a complete and total racket from the guy inside. Wow. I always wonder about that too. If you go to the Missouri Lottery website. Excuse me. I wonder if you looked at – I've always wondered about like people who work at Uh these places. Like what would prevent you from just taking – the lottery scratch offs, and you you and you work at the place, right? Mm-hmm. And you just go through them. You go through like ten, twenty of them in a row, right? You're bound to have some winning, winning right? Right. 
And so you win some, and then you pay for the tickets you've scratched off, right? Mm-hmm. And you have other money. Unless, of course, you're really horribly unlucky, and you've gone through <laughs> 20 and not won enough money to cover them. That would be me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, but let's say well, you just I wonder do if th- they, as a result of this, are investigating or looking a little bit more closely at the system with Lotto. Because didn't you say they also make – they also print the Lotto tickets? Yeah. But now I would be interested to see, though, if I went – because they always list the winners of the cash mm-hmm. on the website. Right. right. And I wonder how many of those those people wind up being employees of operations that sell the tickets. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not I, saying I would do that if I worked there. I'm just saying that you know you go through you can go through a hundred if you go through a hundred dollar scratch offs in a row. Right. Okay, that's a hundred dollars. Your statistical odds are going to win something. Yes. Yes. And, and maybe even more than $100 right. if you're going through 100 scratch-offs in right. a row. I wonder if you can, you can actually pull that off and, and do it. I'm not saying I would scheme similarly. I'm just saying I'm, I'm, I would be surprised if, uh, if Somebody, people didn't do that. Right. But it's, it must be my own, um, my own uh, criminal, criminal mind, right? All right. We come back, people. It's going to be Doug Giles. Just back from beautiful uh, Italy. I don't think he has much in the way of uh, any kind of real love of Italy. Italy. Like he just likes Texas. You know? Yeah. Call him up down there in Austin, Texas. Doug Giles. ClashDaily.com. What happened to Owl City? Do you know? Owl City? Matt, do generally people in the music business like Owl City? Is this Owl City? Yeah. Not familiar with Owl City. I kind of like them. In fact, I was thinking they sounded a little bit like Chainsmokers and a little bit like um, Angels and Airwaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or... What's uh, Angels and Airwaves before they were Angel and Airwaves? Uh, well, they were Blink-182. Blink yeah. I like those guys. Yeah. Angels and Airwaves are great. But this is, the, you know this one. This is Owl mm-hmm. City, too. Some people, I think this is the kind of band that some people really can't stand or they really love. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any in between on these guys. You know what I'm saying? I kind of like it, though. I like it. If 10 million fireflies lit up the world as I fell asleep they fill the I think Owl City is hardcore on Facebook's radar I'm, I'm sure they are <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get them, you know They'll pull us off if we don't watch out Here Oh yeah This is good though Great song. You guys rock. You think the algorithms are going to pick us up on this one? I just think the guitar on this is fantastic. So and I love his voice. Room. Think they'll pull us off? 
let's risk it anyway. Find Doug's number here. Amuse yourselves. Here we go. Good morning this morning, ClashDaily.com. It's none other than the brave, the merciless, the amazing Doug Giles. How you doing, buddy? Good, man. How was Italy? Did you uh, see uh, Clooney? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember before you left, I did see a bunch of people on scooters, but they ride considerably better than uh, George Clooney does. I'll tell you that. That's one thing I loved about Italy, man. Is those people have some balls over there? They drive fast. They never honk at each other. They all cooperate. You never see anybody fist fighting at the tail end of anything, and you never see any police officers pulling people over for going five miles over the speed limit. Things are working beautifully over there in Italy. Sounds like Texas, man. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I love that about them. I mean, and uh, it was interesting too because we just had the Italian Prime Minister in, in D.C. yesterday. And they they like Americans, and and Italy's one of obviously America's closest allies in Western Europe. But uh, those are some tough people over there. They they seem to like President Trump. They like Americans, and they're strong themselves. How's the how's the uh, immigration invasion with the religion of peace going on? Have they uh, stopped the turn the spigot off on that? Um, here's the deal. The only time I ever saw any trouble, and, and this isn't being racial of me or anything, the only time there was any kind of trouble whatsoever, it was always uh, North African, always. And, and, and uh, it was just a couple incidences where the police had somebody screaming at them or doing something stupid. It was always in North African. It was never in Italian. So that, that, but, but so far, it doesn't seem like it's really – see, they've been – They've had a lot of issues on the southern part of Italy, but believe me, they are pretty tough on their borders, and they do not like illegal immigrants, and they do not like invasions, and and they are a very nationalistic country and proud of it. And so, so far, so good, although in the southern reaches, some some places like that, like in Corsica, other places, it's, it's been a problem. Well, good, man. Did you give me uh, any souvenirs, like a uh, Michelangelo statue of David replica, something like that? <laughs> I almost got a Pope bottle bobblehead over there. But I, you know what I brought back, to tell you the truth? Now, that, now that would be apropos, man. I mean, I know you're Catholic. I hate to bash the Pope, but uh, he is a bobblehead when it comes to <laughs> politics and theology. And uh, it's almost like uh, El Diablo appointed him. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I did go see him at St. Peter's Square, and I did come to a conclusion to a certain degree, though. Like, for instance, remember when he came out and compared abortion to the Holocaust, how 
much of the media dove for cover. They decided they weren't going to actually report that part of what Pope Francis said. You know, it was kind of like it was kind of odd in that way. So some people just simply report what they want to want to hear from the guy. But you're right. I mean, it's it, listen. Unfortunately, in Italy, most of the people don't go to church there anymore anyway. So. <laughs> I don't know what they're, what they're, the Pope yeah, is would, figure. You know, you know, if I was, uh, if I was Catholic, my brother's Catholic and, uh, sister-in-law are Catholic. Uh, she's Italian as well. And, um, I, I would have, I would have huge problems because of the deviation, uh, that he takes, uh, from the scripture. It's just mind blowing. You know, look, I get it. You know, you want to be liked, you want to, you want to be hip and cool in this postmodern, uh, error and stuff, and you don't want people to be, you know, strafing your your Pope mobile with pellet guns or anything like that. But you gotta listen. If you represent Christ, if you re- if you represent God, then just toe the line. You're a UPS guy. Just deliver the package. Don't alter the package. Don't mess with the package. Just deliver the package and let the chips fall where they may. My mother-in-law, uh, she's from uh, her family's from Florence, uh, Italy. Uh, my father-in-law. Um, uh, Sicilian, ah. and yeah, no. Before my father-in-law passed, you know, obviously Catholic, he pulled out. He's like, man, I'm done. He said, look, you know, I'm thankful for upbringing and Catholicism and blah blah blah. He said, but I can't, I can't handle this Pope's politics. And uh, he passed away about a year ago. Because I can't handle his uh, bizarre liberation theology. And we're talking about, I mean, again, you know. Florence and Palermo, these, these are not peripheral type Catholics. And, uh, with this, with this new cat in, uh, in the Vatican, he's like, I'm done. I'm just done. Yeah. And he was sick, man. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't like a flamethrower like me. Uh, he was, he was grieved, but his mind could not embrace his leadership any longer. And, um, so I thought, I thought that was uh powerful man. And, um, and he rode the storm out through uh, many, many bad popes. But at the end of his life, he's, he was like, "This, that's it. Well, and, and unfortunately what happens is a lot of these liberals who have never set foot in any kind of church whatsoever decide they're going to use the pope as their main uh, support for all their socialist policies that they promote. And that's the biggest problem I've ever found with the Catholic Church and here in St. Louis. And I actually one time worked – for the archbishop here in St. Louis, one of the most conservative ones ever, Cardinal Burke. And uh, I was a spokesman for him, actually, uh, for about nine months. But the fact of the matter is uh, the, the the church has bastardized this idea of social justice. And, and some Catholics believe that social justice is to be meted out by the uh, – by, by – the government and 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 that's a complete bastardization of what the social justice Catholic Church teachings are to begin with, which always hinged on individuals being the ones to help other individuals, and the and the Catholic Church being one of the largest contributors to charity in the world, and and government was not supposed to be the arbiter of social justice or of equality or anything. It was always reliant on the people. And in fact, just in church uh, last Sunday, we were, uh, we were 
the, the gospel was about the uh, fishes and the bread, mm-hmm. and, and, and it wasn't the government meeting out the pieces of bread or, or, or the pieces of fish. It was Jesus and, and the other people. It wasn't the government doing that, and Jesus was, would, could no way be in, construed as the government. Yeah, but uh, Jamie, you you do what uh, a lot of people don't do anymore, uh, especially those on the left, and that's actually read the frickin' Bible. <laughs> and uh, and you're correct. And you know, you look at the you look at the first century church when this thing was nascent, when it exploded out of uh, Jerusalem and went in went into all the world. Um, you know, Caesar was uh, in control of things. Man, Rome was ruling the roost. And uh, one of the one of the main problems that that Romans had with Christians is they're, they're, they said Christ is Lord instead of Caesar is Lord. Now, the Romans don't care who you worship. They had, you know, thousands of gods. They had a pantheon full of them. Yeah. Uh, but they did care if you didn't obey the state. And that, that phrase, Jesus is Lord, Christos Kurios, that was an act of rebellion uh, to the Roman government, and that's why they started uh, lopping uh, people's heads off. And it wasn't because they were worshiping, it's because they were disobedient, uh, or they, they claimed that, you know, Christ was king and not Caesar. And, uh, yeah, big government stuff uh, in the church is, is horrible. Saul Alinsky was, uh, uh, was a wizard in regards to intertwining, uh, you know, the church, in particular the Catholic Church in Chicago. Uh, to big government causes and hijacked, you know, that which was supposed to be, like you said, personal and private to something now that involves, you know, theft and wealth distribution according to the big government causes that the leftists uh, tout. And, um, you know, Alinsky said in a, I don't know if you read his uh, uh, 1972 Playboy interview, Alinsky said, listen, we want to shake down a city. And we want to forever turn it into uh, uh, a democratic kibbutz for our Marxist-Leninist agenda. The first thing we do is we infiltrate churches. Yeah. And we don't tell them we're going to do this. What we do is we help them, you know, we do this and we do that. Then when it comes voting time, we got them by the short and curlies, and they're going to vote uh, democratic, and they're going to vote for our radicals. And uh, he was real clear about uh, how dumb churches uh, would be if you if you mask it correctly, and how you could take over whole communities if you infiltrate churches. Well, and 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 Father Flager there in Chicago, who oh was gosh, I yeah. mean that guy was just totally amoral, and as you point out earlier with the liberation theology, it was a complete again bastardization of just attempting to kind of mix Christian philosophy the way they saw it and put it into a governmental construct, which was ridiculous. And and then, of course, you also have a situation where I believe the Catholic Church's support of illegal immigration is completely amoral because I yeah. don't think any church, uh, any organization, first of all, should should advocate breaking the law and secondly, I don't believe that illegal immigration – I believe actually it is a moral issue, be, and I believe it's amoral to purposely create subcultures of people that have no ties to this country except perhaps a bed in the undercroft of a Catholic church or a, or a small paycheck cutting lawns. It, it, it's totally amoral. Yeah, uh, from an uh, amoral or immoral standpoint, yeah. um, I mean look at, look at what it does – Say you're say you're a cute 
you know, 15, 16 year old girl and you came over on a death train and uh, now you're here illegally and, and nobody, you're not on the books. Uh, cops don't know you exist. Hospitals don't know you exist. Nobody knows you exist. You're very vulnerable to uh, human traffickers and sex traffickers because you don't exist as far as uh, the law is concerned. So when people tell me, oh, we must do this and it's Ali Ali income free and uh, there's there's a lot of vulnerability uh, created, like you said, uh, by doing it illegally. When you live in some kind of subterranean subculture here in America, it's it's it is uh, it's bad news bears, man. If things go sideways in those uh, those lawless environments, uh, again, especially if you know if you're a young lady. Yeah, I I just you know it doesn't make any, and I know people, th- you know, again. It's kind of like how I remember during the uh, the election with Obama in 2012, for instance, and it was always it was confounding to me how I, I don't understand how Catholics can support people who are aggressively pro-abortion. It's one thing to be Catholic, and for instance, there's a beautiful uh, organization here in town called Our Ladies In. And I support them every chance I get. But Our Ladies Inn is not Planned Parenthood. Our Ladies Inn actually is fulfilling the Catholic Church teaching regarding uh, the sanctity of life by providing a place for women who choose life to have shelter, guidance, food, educational opportunities, employment hookups, all that kind of thing. And that that's the true Supposedly, that that's the true pro-life Catholic Church uh, example. But supporting a person who who, first of all, ignores the idea that a fetus is a is a human life. I don't know how you can do that and sit in in a Catholic church. Yeah, same thing with uh, marriage. Look, you know, as far as I'm concerned, consenting adults, you know, do whatever, knock yourself out. But from a from a biblical standpoint, you can't call uh, a union between uh, Adam and Steve uh, marriage. And, and and look, I again, I'm not the bad guy. I didn't write it. Jesus did. It's in red letters. Everybody knows he used uh, red font when he would do uh, his sermon work. But uh, in Matthew 19, Jamie, he said, uh, "God joins together a man and a woman, and what God joins together." You know, let no man put asunder or separate. No, I didn't say that. And if you if you bring it now to a, a, a Catholic who's you know towing the Maxine Waters line, next thing you know, I'm this die in the wool hater. It's like, no, I just read it. I'm I'm just reading. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm homophobic or hate anybody. So you know, it's it marriage again. If you're Catholic, is between a man and a woman and. Dolce & Gabbana, the big fashion designers, openly homosexual, they would never uh, deviate from that uh, teaching in Matthew 19, and they took hell over it from the, from the left and from the homosexual community. They're like, no, this isn't marriage, and no, you shouldn't uh, uh, adopt kids. And that was Dolce & Gabbana Italian Catholics uh, who are homosexual standing strong uh, on uh, Matthew 19, verse 6. I think it's wild. Uh, I think people ought to read. I think uh, I think that's why I said in my book, uh, Rules for Radicals, man, is that Christians, uh, you need to be sharp, solid, and smart. You need to understand the biblical worldview uh, 
when it gets you know juxtaposed against uh, the Marxist-Leninist worldview, the secular humanist worldview, uh, the the Islamist worldview, et cetera, et cetera. Because if not, you start um, picking up stuff and embracing things that are completely antithetical to where you should stand. If again, it's a big if you want to be faithful, you know, to the scripture. Yeah, I just do. I, that's probably one of my. Uh... I don't know whether it's a sin not to uh, evangelize, but but I, I'm I'm probably not as good of an evangelist on that end. I'd prefer to say, okay, um, go ahead and do what you want to do, uh, and I want and and let the church also do what it wants to do. If the church doesn't want to perform marriages, then I believe it's a it's it's in the church's right to decide what they're going to do. And if you want to go and get married then and call it marriage, then you can go ahead and do that and then just leave the church alone and we'll leave you alone or leave evangelical Christians alone. But the problem is these people always want to try to force their own viewpoints and their own theologies, so to speak, uh, political yeah. theologies on on theologians and on people practicing certain yeah, religions. If I was, if, if I was, if I was gay and uh, and I really like you know Ricky Martin or uh, Brad Pitt, uh, I wouldn't be a pain in the butt about it. You know, I wouldn't be forcing any church to you know acknowledge me and greenlight my behavior. I wouldn't be shaking down some <laughs> some poor guy you know uh, that bakes cakes, demanding that you know they bake me uh, a gay cake for my gay wedding. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't be a pain in the ass to people like that. To me, uh, you know, uh, again, I don't know if it's my Texas roots or just common sense. Is just leave people alone. Do your thing and get on with life. You know, why, do you, why, do, why would I have to sell that to everybody and their dog? First of all, I know everybody doesn't approve. You know, I, I grew up in Lubbock, Texas. Secondly, you know, if I don't bug you, you don't bug me, and we all live happily ever after. And um, but you know, just like you said, the left. Oh my gosh, man, you have to absolutely bow and kiss the ring, toe the line, parrot whatever they say, or all of a sudden you're a hater. No, I'm not a hater. I just disagree with you. How's that? Yeah. Now, can we can we have a beer now? Can <laughs> we talk about other stuff? You know. Well, and also most of the gay people I know, first of all. I, I don't. They, they. If if somebody didn't want to make them a cake, they would just go and have somebody else make them a cake. I mean, it's pretty, pretty simple. They're 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 just not people who they want to be basically left alone more than anything else. Which is why sometimes these folks who are the activists in the LGBT community actually, I don't believe, put the proper face on the average American gay person. Like, for instance, you saw the, why would you in a gay pride parade decide that like in New York, I think they did. I can't remember. No, maybe it was a different town. Why would you decide that your move would be to have a seven year old transgender kid leading your parade is the grand, like how do you think gays really want that representation of their community? I mean, probably not. Most of them would not. Yeah, no, it's um, it's it. That's that's ghoulish as far as I'm <laughs> yeah. uh, concerned. And you know, I'd say the same thing if you got some uh, uh, some slutted up young kid 
at a heterosexual parade, you know, oh, like yeah. those, what are, what are those uh, events where the moms, those little tiny tot beauty yeah. pageants or whatever that to me, that kind of stuff is just pornographic. It's bizarre. It's twisted. I think the mothers, uh, you know, who Jones over that crap for the little girl and get them all, uh, made up and stuff. They have some deep, deep mental issues. And so, yeah, I'm against it. You know, when it comes to kids, how about instead of, uh, and I don't know if you saw this in Houston, we ran it on clash. I believe you're in uh, Italy. Uh, when, when we posted it, they had drag queen story time at a big, uh, library in Houston, Texas. Wow. And I'm, and I'm not talking, and I'm not talking about, you know, good looking drag queen. I'm talking about, uh, a hoofer man <laughs> with a full on beard. who's got more chins in a Chinese phone book. He was so fat. You could hide, you know, small, uh, toys in the folds of his blubber. And he's sitting there, you know, with these uh, fishnet stockings on that are busted. Looks like he tried to high step a barbed wire fence. And he's got a whole room full of uh, kiddos that he's reading drag queen stories to. And uh, and again, you know, we're talking about you know four, five, six, maybe twelve year old kids. And uh, my thing with um, uh, the trans groups and the rabid heterosexual groups or whomever. Can you leave the frickin' kids alone, damn it? Can they not just play with their coloring book? Can they not just ride a bike? What's wrong with uh, C-Spot Run? Uh, what's wrong with, uh, you know, Jack and Jill went up the hill? They have to sexualize everything, and uh, to me, it's just gross, and I'm so glad that I live out in the big middle of a frickin' ranch in Texas. Well, and, 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 and believe me, when the left gets angry, they sexualize their anger, too, because I don't know how many times, you've, you know, Ann Coulter's been you – know, people talk about raping or everything else because they can't stand her. Hey, what's going on there in McAllen? What's McAllen, Texas like, by the way? What kind of town is that? Uh, deep South Texas, border town, great deer hunting, or used to be until it okay. was, you know, destroyed by uh, the border crossings. So, so there was this robbery down there, and they had seven people who robbed a jewelry store, and they arrested seven of these guys believed to be involved in the accident, uh, in the incident, and um, they were the McAllen, Texas public officials there uh, left out the fact that these were illegal. Immigrants. These were illegal aliens. They would. They refused to say that they were illegals. Why would they do that down there in, in McAllen, Texas? Well, uh, that part of uh, South Texas, which is uh, the deep V part uh, from Laredo across to uh, Corpus, down to McAllen, Brownsville, Harlingen area, uh, that all went blue, man. I don't oh, know. Really? I don't know how many. Yeah. No, I mean, aside from uh, Travis County, which, by the way. Jamie, you know how the the liberals uh, are a pain in the ass in regards to everything. Uh, they now want to change Austin, Texas, uh, because Stephen F. Austin, who uh, it's named after, uh, was not against the Mexican slave trade. Uh, so they're proposing the equity office here in uh, Austin is uh, collecting signatures to rename the city. And, you know, I had some conservative buddies of mine, you know, we were having a good you know, hee haw over over that, and, uh, and I sat back and I said, "Hey, you know what? Uh, 
don't think it's too crazy. Don't think it's too far beyond reach because that town, Austin, is filled with lunatics. Yeah. And we're not just talking about passive liberals. We're talking about in extremely active liberals. And uh, I wouldn't put it past them. They've already gone after several streets, you know, that said were reminiscent of, you know, slavery and the Confederacy. And uh, they're going after the whole city now. But, yeah, the South, that part of South Texas uh, by and large, uh, blue counties. So, you know, they're going to have that, uh, kind of crap, probably Maxine Waters, uh, uh, half Hispanic brother-in-law down there running interference for her and Nancy. Yeah. It was interesting because the, the, the way that it was discovered, and this is the craziest thing, the way the public knew that these were actually Mexican nationals, not Americans was a CBS news reporter, put it out on Twitter and and he had two sources that told him that these were illegals and CBS news totally ignored the story and focused on like 3d guns and the danger of 3d guns or whatever, but completely ignored their own reporter. It's crazy. Well, if it was, uh, if it was a bunch of white crackers like you and I, uh, that had like Christian T-shirts on and and MAGA hats. You bet your ass it would be, <laughs> it it would be reported. Yeah. But it's just it just doesn't fit. You know their fairy tale that they're trying to foist on people. It's just like same thing in uh, England. You get some uh, Muslim terrorist who kills twenty two people at an Ariana Grande concert a couple of years ago, and they said an Asian, an Asian. Right. Jackie Chan did that. Since when yeah. does you know Japan, Japanese or Chinese start doing that kind of crap? Yeah. Then you dig a little bit and you see his name buried on page nine hundred seventy-six of the Daily Mail, and it happens to be you know Muhammad Ahmed from Sukkistan who did it. <laughs> Jackie Chan. By the way, you remember meeting Gia Valenti when she she she's here in the studio with me. Do you remember meeting her when she was? I mean, you met a lot of people when you were here in St. Louis, but remember Gia at all? Tall, no. tall Italian. We talked about. No, Ted- I don't remember her at all. Okay, well, she. Of course, I do. I do. <laughs> Hi, Doug. <laughs> so she. Uh, yeah. So so yeah, we were supposed to do these book signing, speaking tours. You know, just in uh, nothing, absolutely nothing. <laughs> so we no love. We had so she put out on on the Radio Free Almond fan page the other day that. She said every because she you're current. Did you finish it or are you currently reading Pussification? I finished it. And she at said, the time I hadn't. I was about I was more than halfway through, but yeah. Now I'm finished. She said everybody needs a copy of that book. It's my new gift giving. I'm giving it to all the men that I know in my life <laughs> and many women too. I've got a few female friends that could stand to read that because they they. Uh, they're, yeah, women can be pussies too. You know? Well, no, they're trying to take their husband's balls, so I'm going to help them realize they don't need to oh. do that. Yeah, I, I've got a. I think one of our most listened to podcasts over at Warriors and Wild Men uh, was this this Dougcast solo that I did uh, on ten ways wives can destroy their marriage. Yeah, and yep. it's pure. It's pure gold. It's awesome. And of course, you know the reflexively irate. You know, little sinister sister. She's like, "Well, why don't you do one for husbands?" Like, I'll do whatever I want to do. Here's ten. Here's ten ways women can destroy their marriage, and I'm telling you, the response was out of this world, man. Just crazy stuff. And women don't know that, uh, you know, that they completely erode 
their husband masculinity in, in several ways. And, uh, you know, so quit blaming Rhonda if he's eyeballing her, if you're, uh, if you're belittling him in public and doing various other things uh, that's slowly making him, you know, want to jump in front of a moving bus. Yeah. I, I remember you had, when you first came out with that and it was, uh, it was right. Oh on, yeah. We buddy. did it on your show and yeah. everybody got real quiet, you know, <laughs> I know all the ladies got really quiet. I was like, come on people. You, you know exactly what we're talking no, you can about. Do it. You can do it to guys, man. Oh, Danny, I know. You can do it to guys. You can, you can bash husbands, you can bash men, but if, oh my gosh, if you ever turn, you know, that on the ladies rare, well, that's why that's why it was so unusual was because people had already heard time and time again the rap against how guys are hurting their marriage or hurting this or hurting that, but you never heard the other side, which is why you know because there are two mm-hmm. two sides to every story, and so you never really heard the uh, the other part of that until you spoke up finally. And you yeah, were- proverbs uh, proverbs uh, Solomon said a foolish woman uh, tears. Uh, tears her own house down. And uh, there's a lot of uh, scriptures, uh, especially <laughs> in Proverbs, man, which, which is, the, what, what book is it? Oh, it's the Book of Wisdom. And um, uh, that talks about contentious uh, wives, mm-hmm. talks about foolish women, and how, you know, they destroy their husbands and their kids. And um, that ain't my point of view, man. Again, I'm just the messenger. I'm, the, I'm delivering the package, and, uh, you know, the people have to deal with it. But uh, I, you know, thanks to you for the the props on pussification. Um, I think that book should be read aloud at every university, <laughs> every kindergarten, every school. Period. Agree. I guarantee you. I guarantee you, it won't be read by a drag queen at the ki- at the kids' <laughs> reading. Time. But but ultimately, it should be that you talk about kids reading uh, uh, w- the weekly reading. That would be that would be awesome. And by the way, too, it's not like your list included. Hey, ladies, you need to cook a roast in high heels and present your guy with a Manhattan every time he comes home. That wasn't what it was about. Mm-mm. It was just uh, constructive warnings mm-hmm. and criticisms, what that was about. All right, brother. Well, good, to, good to be back with you, and uh, thanks oh. for everything, and looking forward to working with you with uh, on Clash TV, because uh, we're working on that with your buddy, and so we're getting there, getting there. Doug, Doug I uh, purchased a print of the drain the swamp. And then uh, I'm supposed to be in some sort of a drawing, right? For a, the painted canvas. It never gave me that option. Yeah. I'll um, uh, send me a uh, message on Facebook or uh, email reminder or something. Jamie's got all my details. Okay. Yeah. And, and all that. No, it's not a, it, uh, when you buy the drain the swamp print, you get entered into uh, a contest with keeping bear constitution.com. It's where you can uh, get a 24 by 36 inch uh, full size gicle on canvas replica. These are beautiful pieces, by the way. They're you know it's not the you know, original, and I'm not painting anything else <laughs> uh, along those lines. Uh, but this is a beautiful uh, gift, nonetheless. I mean, it costs like I sell those for right around a thousand bucks for a yeah. print, so it's very nice. Well, I don't know if you guys have seen my Melania. Make America or make yeah, make America classy again. That thing is burning up the internet, man. That's a great. Oh, is that uh, your newest painting. one? That's your yeah. Newest? We just launched uh, that one. I think I teased it out. Uh, Texas Ag Commission, Texas Ag yeah. Commissioner Sid Gill put it out on Facebook two days ago, <laughs> oh, and really? it freaking melted the internet, man. The Ag Commissioner, huh? That's awesome. 
Yeah, so, go to go to clashdaily.com and there's a picture of Melania wearing uh, these beautiful white jeans. Oh and yeah, right. And if that's a sign of of racism. <laughs> <laughs> but if you click if you click on that, you can see the uh, Melania painting. Looking good, man. Looking really good. So so what to Gia's point though, what you're doing is you're auto, I think you're automatically entered in once oh, you okay. buy that. So you didn't have to you didn't have to enter in. You're automatically entered in once you get. Uh, once you once you once you buy the print, gotcha. whatever you're doing is automatically entered into the hopper. There, there wasn't so it's a such a re- it's such a relief to paint Melania after painting Debbie Washerman Schultz, <laughs> Hillary, and Nancy in the swamp painting. Oh, yeah, just I'm sure gotta, it was. Woo. All right, brother. Well, listen, great talking yeah, to you. ClashDaily.com, and appreciate you as always, man. Right on. Thanks, guys. Y'all stay right. Have fun down there. Bye, Dad. Yep. So, yeah, I think, I think to your question, I think you can just, I think you're already entered in there. Um, so. Cool. You're trying to get some. some I was trying to look. There. I was trying to look for the, but, you know, it's easier on a computer. Sometimes you get the web ver- or the uh, mobile version and it doesn't. Well, he, I, think his, I think his thing was you're automatically entered in. No, it's I was looking separate... for the picture, the new Melania one. Oh. I was trying to get a, a glimpse of it. Yeah. Well. I'll do that later. Well, because we are out of time. Mm-hmm. RadioFreeAlmond.com is where you can find the uh, brand new colors for the nice. tanks. That's a good looking color. That's a good. Julie said we're going to have winter gear, too. Oh, nice. Yeah. And Alicia. Like uh, the um, ski hats? Mm. Maybe. How about a Radio Free Almond ski mask? For all of your hold-up needs. Hot pokers to stoke your fire in the winter. Right on. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Yeah, you want to yeah. hold up a 7-Eleven and proudly sport the Radio Free Almond logo? The Radio Free Almond ski mask will be uh, hilarious. available to you. Radio Free Almond Mittens. Mittens. Nice. How about a Radio Free Almond Hand Warmer? That's nice. That's good. I think we're I think we're on to something here. Radio Free Almond Leg Warmers. <laughs> leg Warmers. <laughs> yeah. You, too, can look like Farrah Fawcett <laughs> and be a Radio Free Almond fan. <sighs> RadioFreeAlmond.com. Gia Valenti, thank you. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Great talking to you. Everything is up there. Uh, tomorrow, Pam Geller is going to be rejoining the show, too. So we had Judge Abalatano on today as the official Tuesday guy. And he wanted to come on at the same time he came on with me when I was at 97. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know whether they switched a day with him or over there or what they did, but I don't know. Is he still on over there? Who knows? But Pam Geller's back, too. She'll be on with us tomorrow, 8.30. So. People were asking earlier about Jimmy Hoff not being on uh, 97.1. Yeah, no, he's not. And they were asking him to comment on it. Oh, for him to comment on mm-hmm. that? Well, there are a lot of people who aren't on there anymore. So, right. A lot of advertisers, too. Onward and upward. I think initially they were making a claim at one point that, oh, you know, it was... This tweet is costing us money. It's like, pfft, my firing has cost you 7,000 times the dollars that you thought you were 
I mistakenly thought you were losing right. as a result of a tweet. So, there's that. Have a good one, everybody. <laughs>